Welcome everyone to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I am Rory McNamara, welcoming you to our fifth annual end of year award show. Volume four of everything we've had for you in December of 1998. Volume one, WCW show, looking at Starcade. We have two WWF shows for you. The first one, looking at Capital Carnage. The second one, Rock Bottom and all your news. And volume three is our ECW show. But here it is where we round up everything we've talked about for you over the last 12 months, and we rank the best and the worst that the year of pro wrestling has had to offer. And the team I have assembled includes Mr. Chris Lacey. Chris, how are we doing? Wunderbar. Uh, here for the fun and games, it is the end of the year awards. Fellow host, Chris White. Hi, Rory. How are you doing? We're doing well. Dan Welling is here. I am indeed. Pleasure to be amongst you fine gentlemen today. And Eric Landstrom is here. Is this not where I go for my annual review? <laughs> you, you keep getting put on show, so I think you'll be kept. <laughs> yeah, the, the pay review is going to be in a year or so's time. Just want to let you know that now. So we are all gathered here today to rank 1998, the year in pro wrestling, in 14 categories. Slight changes to those who've been with us over the previous years. Once again, we will be picking the very best and very worst. However, what I have done this year... A couple of weeks ago, I sent out all the categories to our luminaries here, and they voted in their top three in all 14 categories. I should say that no fewer than 98 different things were actually voted for, so quite the realm. However, I have narrowed it all down to the top three based on scoring for each category. What we are going to do now, dear listener, is go through those categories. I will read out each nomination based on the votes, and from there, we will debate, discuss, deliberate and pick our winner i the self-appointed role as speaker this particular time will have any casting votes should they be necessary but you know the rules <laughs> the casting vote uh, we're all okay with that aren't we yes we are so let's get on with it our very first award of 14 is our tag team of the year and the three nominations all three of these ran away with it in the votes in no particular order they are the team of rvd and sabu the new age outlaws and the Dudley boys. Chris Lacey, kick us off. So, all three of these were my nominations. The New Age Outlaws, I will start with first. They have been a revelation in the WWF. They have been probably the only team that has merited any sort of 
interest at all. You know, you've put them in there against single stars with Kane and Mankind. They've had good matches. You put them in with pretty much every other tag team. They've got the LOD, uh, the Godwins or Southern Justice as they turned into during the year, and also the Headbangers. And they were still there getting matches out of them. So as a whole, as being the only team in the Fed that have actually been of any note, they had to be nominated. But now we'll give some real lip service to what has been the two best teams in the world this year. First, the Dudleys. This, Bobber Ray and Devon have gone from being a joke team that were there sort of, oh, look, Bobber and his stutter and the brothers that can't get on, ooh, weird family, to actually being a team that are now so synonymous with ECW. They have been pretty much around most of the main storylines all year. They broke Bueller's neck. The level of heat that they get is outstanding. There is no one in the world at the moment that are bigger heat heat getters except maybe Vince. They are the greatest tag team of the last five years. And if they continue the way they are, they will outgrow ECW and will be on one of the bigger two very shortly, which will definitely be ECW's loss, but the mass majorities, the mass populace's gain. And the last team, RVD and Sabu. What can we say about these two? Sabu, the craziest wrestler in the world and will put himself through all sorts of power and pain. And RVD, my personal choice of the greatest wrestler in the world at the moment, put them together doing insane spots constantly, table smashes and everything that's wonderful about ECW. Put them against the Dudleys and you're winning. I will rest my case. Compelling cases all. Eric, come in on any of our three nominations and the points put forward by Mr. Lacey. There is only one tag team in this category, and that is the Dudleys. You cannot vote the tag team of the year for two tag teams that are comprised of two failed singles wrestlers <laughs> that must rely on one another for in-ring product. You must vote for the Dudley boys, and you cannot vote for the Dud uh, for the Outlaws or, or anybody else, despite... The fact that the Outlaws had a pretty good year. Big fish in a small pond. The WWF has no tag division to speak of whatsoever. You look back through who's been tag team champions in the WWF this year. It's pathetic. The only thing that holding the tag team titles did for RVD and Sabu was hold RVD back from being a wonderful singles wrestler and from filling out the top of the card with Sabu's shenanigans. The Dudley Boys are the one true tag team on this list. They are probably the best heat-seeking tag team that we've had since the Freebirds, and I think this year was clearly their year. Chris White, defend the Outlaws for me. Rory, I don't know that I have the inclination to defend the Outlaws, to be honest. <laughs> um, your, your role as WWF guy, you have very little choice. Well, I'm not going to fight this particular category is too hard because I'd hate to blow my credibility uh, <laughs> in potentially convincing you towards the Federation later on in the show. But um, as we'll get to in another award later, uh, the tag division in the Fed has been a desperately low point for the company this year. And the Outlaws have been the 
best of a very, very bad bunch. I'm not going to fight this one, and I, I will gracefully accept that uh, ECW do have two superior nominations for this category. Um, for me, uh, I know we're not casting our votes just yet, but there is a clear winner, and uh, I just say that I uh, echo Eric. Is he right, Dan? Yes, in short. Um, the problem with the New Age Outlaws is that, yes, they are incredibly over in the WWF, but the problem is, is that they are all style and pretty much no substance. No good matches to speak of when it's just straight-up tag matches. You know, they are facing the headbangers and Southern Justice and Dilo Brown and Mark Henry, I will admit, but the fact is their output does not match how over their spiel and the overall merch sales probably are. Contrast that with the ECW uh, two tag teams that have been put forward. There's there's so much good stuff to be able to you, know, you can actually sink your teeth into with these two teams. The problem with me, as Eric has said, is that RVD and Sabu never felt like a proper tag team. They were just there to put two guys together and have a really good matches. The Dudley boys are head and shoulders, the best tag team of 1998 and are in the conversation for best tag team of the decade based on the last two years they've had together. They are fantastic. Oh, somebody's staking a claim for our show of the 90s in 12 months' time. And that's head happening. and shoulders, shout out to Cool as well. So. <laughs> you're, you're lucky we're not talking about that one later, Eric. Isn't there a case to be made and anybody pick up on this one? that we're not asking the New Age Outlaws to do any more than what they are giving us. Now, if we're holding them up to a standard of work rate, that's not what they're about. So we shouldn't really be, we shouldn't really be including that when we're assessing them. Do we think that's fair? I mean, I they, just, made this, they made this list very easily. Let's, let's not overlook that. It's because more down of the... the lack of actual other options available, really. I mean, look, they are the epitome of what the WWF product is at the minute, which is style... And subs and character over work rate, but ultimately, when you when you are judging all tag teams together, you have to factor in all the little factors. You know, work rate, characters, promos, matches, moments, everything like that. And yes, the New Age Outlaws are amazing characters. They've got charisma, particularly with Road Dog. But ultimately, the Dudley Boys in particular also have those things, but have the matches as well. And Rory, if you're going to give the uh, the the Outlaws cachet for being in the Fed um, simply because they're the best team in the top promotion, um, I would say that the Dudleys are one of the few ECW acts that I would take out of ECW and could say that they would be just as successful, if not more successful, in the WWF with some minor tweaks. Um, and I think that means that the Dudleys are already head and shoulders above the Outlaws. Mm, it's those minor tweaks that worry me if we're here in a year's time and the Dudleys are elsewhere, but we'll see when we get there. Uh, Chris Lacey, one more thing before we vote on this one. Just talk to me a bit more about RVD and Sabu. It's been suggested that they are just a thrown-together tag team. Um, make another case for them. Can you see them being together in a year's time even? See, the thing with RVD and Sabu is it's a great use of them if they haven't got a storyline. Yes, they are a thrown-together ta tag team. But there is that lineage there that RVD was trained with the Sheik. Obviously, Sabu's dad, uh, grandfather. We know that there's, you know, they train together. They have this on again, off again rivalry. It's the fact of for a team that do tag team moves, no one else does what they do. So for that alone, 
yes, they can go separate ways and you can have six months when they're not a tag team. But then six months that they are, again, they are head and shoulders above everyone else in the Fed and WCW. So, you know, they're clearly decent as a tag team. We'll talk about RVD a bit more later. You'll be pleased to hear, Chris. But isn't there a lot to be said that the RVD Sabu tag team these days is much more of a vehicle for Rob Van Dam than it is for Sabu? Um, Sabu's surprised. there because he does the crazy stuff and that's pretty much his role now. Yeah, but then if you say that's, that's been Sabu's role for the past couple of years. True. You know, he, he's the one that is there for the crazy stuff. I think putting him with RVD means that he doesn't have to do as much crazy stuff and injure himself as much on the same length of match. And one of the matches that didn't get in the match of the year category, um, but there's a tag team match with uh, Hayabusa and Kabayashi that could have quite easily been a main event of a New Japan show and would have been eaten up and loved by everyone on over that side of the pond. But, you know, it's it's that that puts them higher because they can have international-style matches that transcend just American wrestling, whereas the Outlaws can't. The Dudleys can. The Dudleys are going to be, as I said, the Dudleys are massive, but they are they are definitely a high number two behind the, the obvious number one. <laughs> You've all given it away. For suspense, the suspense. So, Eric, from these three <laughs> options, who is your tag team of the year? Uh, Dudley's. Dan? Dudley's. Chris White? The Dudley's. Go on, Chris. Go on. Shocker, son. Go on. Them damn Dudley's. Yeah, well, there we are. It was always going to be the Dudley's, wasn't it? And entirely deservedly, let's be perfectly honest about this, I mean, I was saying that the Outlaws have done everything that's been asked of them. The Dudleys have been asked to do more, a lot more. And I think they've gone above and beyond, both on the mic and, it must be said, in the ring too. So, worthy winners. And that puts ECW one up, ladies and gentlemen. I'll explain that more as we go along. Speaking of formalities, now it's time for Feud of the Year. And I should say there were a lot of split votes here. So, five suggestions made it through to the final nomination list. Ooh. Five, and they are Taz and Douglas, DX and The Nation, Undertaker and Kane, Kidman and Juventus Guerrero, what? and Austin and Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Did you hear that what there, Dan? You're going you're gonna to start, start off with Kidman and Hoovy now, and you're going to tell Eric why you and indeed I voted for that one. It's Cruiserweight Wrestling, Eric. Get on board. Work right, baby. <laughs> Flippy stuff. That's why we're all here now in 98. Come on. Yeah. No, honest, the honest answer to why I put this, this uh, few on, on the list is because these two guys have had match after match after match in WCW that gets better and better and better every time they go out in the ring. What more could you ask for from a work rate feud? You know, we look look back three years ago and you saw Malenko versus um, Eddie Guerrero in ECW. And I'm not going to say that this is a, you know, as good a match as of these guys, but it's very close in terms of just two guys who are just going out there and just want to, to beat these two, you know, beat themselves into a pulp to win this belt. And it felt important. 
and honestly, it was one of the main reasons I was tuning into Nitro in the last that's a third of the year because I knew that these two guys were going to come out and put on a really great match. And honestly, when you've got two workers like that, it delivered every single time. And unlike other cruiserweight views this year, i.e. Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko, it delivered. A feud based entirely on wrestling and one which is, as you say, has carried Nitro in many ways throughout the year. They didn't quite make best match despite my best efforts and indeed yours as well, Dan. But I think it's right that they've got onto this final list that it's been a feud based on these two guys wanting to win wrestling matches against each other. I don't think, I don't think that's the sort of thing we talk about too often these days. So they're not going to win, spoiler alert, but I'm glad we've got the chance to talk about them. Eric, can you put Taz Douglas on here? I did, and mostly because you asked for three nominations. Um, <laughs> well said. It snuck in. This was a very split vote, so two points was enough to get it on the list. Yeah, and you know, I do think it deserves, if we're going to mention Kidman, Juventu Guerrero for being... Th so when I hear work rate feud, I hear I'd like a gin and tonic with no gin and no lime. Um, <laughs> but, this feud, uh, yes. but, but in fairness, this feud between Taz and Douglas was... And even though they had a quote-unquote match, that was a six-man at the worst show of the year, in my opinion, um, they um, they managed to carry on this television feud without really having any physicality between them. So this was a purely storyline feud with no work rate at all. And I think what you really saw was Shane Douglas given the opportunity to kind of stretch his wings a little bit. Um, no pun intended, of course, because he was fighting an elbow injury, but did commentary. His promos, I think, were improved uh, to a certain degree because he couldn't just rely on the same old shtick. Um, and then Taz, I think 98 was really a year where we saw Taz flourish into that top-of-the-card ECW role. And so to the extent that ECW was able to carry off warts and all, and there were plenty of them, uh, this feud without the two guys being able to really touch whatsoever in any meaningful way, uh, I think it at least deserves a mention because it did dominate the top of the card in ECW, whether we like it or not, for probably the better part of nine months. But Eric, don't we need the match like yesterday? We needed it at Heatwave, and yep. then we needed it at November to remember, and now we yep. desperately need it in January. And I don't know how good that's looking either. So, you know, I there were another there was another nomination involving this feud that I put very negatively uh, down the list. And, you know, if we don't get to it, we don't get to it. But like I said, warts and all, and there were plenty of them. But if we're going to award, you know, using the same logic, if we're going to award Kidman and Guerrero with a mention for having a great work rate feud, then I think these two deserve uh, an award for having a great microphone feud. Chris Lacey, DX versus The Nation. This one passed me by, I must say. Well, it was more... Most of the year, it was more Hunter versus Rock. But obviously, you did have the run-ins where you had the moments that, looking back at it, was a bit wrong, but was sort of funny at the time, when they blacked up and did the whole comedy shtick. Um, we've had some really good sort of gang battles with X-Puck and the Outlaws against D'Lo, Godfather, and Mark Henry. Um, that ladder match that seems to be the combination of where it's all sort of finished, where you had Rock and Hunter. You know, it's been one of those that for the whole of the year has sort of kept going and has brought interesting matches. 
And if you think we're at the point where we are now, we've got Mark Henry trying to hit on China and going out for a date, which is yeah. still in a, a sort of a culmination of everything that's gone for the whole year beforehand. So when you've had DX after, obviously after Mania and them rebranding and being a new part team, them having the adversaries of the nation was the perfect step for them and has carried it through the year. So we say that Mark Henry and China are Romeo and Juliet of WWF in 1998. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so which family are the Montagues and which are the Capulets? Yeah, I have no let's, idea. Let, let's not answer that one. I mean, Eric's not a resident Shakespeare expert. Maybe he could chip in on that. It wasn't me this month. <laughs> I didn't think it would be. Uh, speaking of work rate feuds, yeah, Undertaker Kane got in here too. <laughs> and I should say, holding my hands up, I voted for this one. Most definitely not for in-ring, as we will talk about later on. But the fact that they've managed to keep this one going. This, I, this was in the running, I think it got at least a high nomination last year. And the fact that it got at least 10 months out of storyline. Forget the matches. Please forget the matches. Come all the way back to the start of the year when it looked like Undertaker and Kane were going to be teaming up. Then Kane turns on him and how the Royal Rumble sets his casket on fire. They have that match at Mania where Undertaker just beats him after three tombstone pile drivers. And you have Kane choke slamming into his mother's grey and into his mother's coffin. You have the Inferno match. You have all that's going through the summer of whether or not they're in cahoots and you bring it all the way around do a complete 360 as gorilla would say with undertaker is now a bona fide heel and kane is now some sort of quasi face very much deserved the mention here for again wwf nothing to do with the wrestling ability that's um i think the two vinces behind the scenes and it must be said the people involved kane is a compelling character without having to say a word and I think Glenn Jacobs has got the character absolutely down pat. It'll be interesting to see where he goes as a face. I'm not sure I want to see the feud necessarily continue with the roles flipped, but the fact they got at least 10 months of quality TV out of it is, uh, is to the credit of all involved. Chris White, you can talk about Austin and Vince McMahon. This one just snuck in there by the skin of its teeth. <laughs> why, why, why not make a case for it just to see if it's got an outside chance of possibly winning feud of the year well Rory uh, I, I feel like I don't need to necessarily comment on any of the other nominations for this category I feel like the case for Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon is strong enough on its own um, the Royal Rumble back in January Stone Cold Steve Austin if you remember he, he won that match that earned himself a title shot at, at Wrestlemania and, and the very next night um, having watched the Rumble in one of the boxes, Mike Tyson was on Raw. And who would crash his presentation by Vince McMahon? Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that moment was the spark that set Raw and the WWF alight for the year. Um, WrestleMania more than doubled the amount of buys it did this year on last year. And yes, Tyson was on the card. and But the crux of the Tyson and Austin storyline was in the birth of the Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin storyline. Roll it on. We've got the 13th of April uh, edition of Monday Night Raw, which is the day that Raw beat Nitro in the ratings for the first time in nearly two years. The advertised main event of that show, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. As we sit in uh, December 1998 now, 
Um, we've gone the whole year of Austin and Vince being at the heart of everything that's good that the, the WWF has done. All the best shows, all the best matches, all the best segments, all the best promos in some way in the Fed relate to this feud and the rivalry that they do have. They've carried the company and turned the fortunes of the company around. Um, I could talk for hours about this feud, um, but I will throw it back to you now in case someone else would like to uh, wax lyrical about it. Yes, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Lacey, I'll come to you. 30, I'll come to the rest of you as well. 30 seconds each on Austin McMahon on why it is the feud of the year and why you're all going to vote for it. Well, what can you say? You've got the, the man and the man fighting against the man. Vince being, you know, that guy that is the man. You know, he's your boss. He's the person that you hate because you have to work for him. And he puts everything in your way for you getting there to just want a beer and getting paid. And Austin is every man fighting his way against it. And it's a true story of everything that, you know, stands good and proper in this world. Dan? I think Chris White has said it perfectly. Every single amazingly excellent thing that WWF have been put on TV this year pretty much has involved one of these two involved somehow in a feud. Austin's segments, Vince's promos, Austin's matches, the machinations of Vince, all the motivations of the characters. They're just intertwined and they're superbly executed and superbly booked. It has to be said, you know, it's very easy to criticize booking here, but the booking of this feud to make it fresh and constantly moving at a pace that makes people want to tune in every single week to watch Monday Night Raw is, is amazing. It's just stunningly good. Eric, bring it home. Raw has gone from, you know, relatively skippable or at least passable show to can't miss television. And there are only two guys responsible for that on screen. I don't even need to put this one to a vote, do I, gents? Nope. I shall put the asterisk against Austin versus Vince McMahon for feud of the year. Very simply on this one, Vince McMahon's own speech to camera 12 months ago, cure for the common show, good guys versus bad guys. And what has he done? How has he turned his own company's fortunes around by the ultimate good guy versus bad guy feud in which everybody has played their part to absolute infinite perfection and i am not remotely tired of these two going at it against each other in any way shape or form there's a lot of talk that it could be a wrestlemania match between them and you know what i would not balk at that in the slightest wonderful wonderful stuff which everybody watching the program on monday nights can and does relate to perfection okay award number three now this is an interesting one rising star slash most improved slash one to watch and the voting for this one was pretty fascinating i must say including one person who i didn't consider voting for in this category and whom i nearly disqualified but the people have spoken and all that and i can't argue against democracy three names for rising star <laughs> i let that one hang three names for rising star most improved ones to watch delo brown chris jericho and the rock Eric, kick us off. 
Uh, I only voted for one of these guys. Go ahead. Um, Jericho Jericho barely missed the cut for me. I just think he's still too vanilla in the ring. Um, his promos have obviously been fabulous. He carried a feud with Goldberg. Goldberg didn't even realize he was in. Um, and uh, and I think we can all agree D'Lo Brown is a really shining star of the WWF undercard. Um, but, you know, even still, I think 99 is more of the year for D'Lo. Uh, if I could look ahead a little bit and project where I think this guy might be going because D'Lo reminds me a little bit of RVD in like 96, 97, where you watch his matches and you think, oh, he's he's got all the tools, but he hasn't really had a chance to put it together. But if you cast ahead just a couple of years now, RVD 97, 98, a lot better. D'Lo, you watch his match with Val at SummerSlam, for example, which is probably the, the biggest high-profile match he had this year. A lot of mistakes, a lot of sloppy spots. Um, I really see 99 as the breakout year for this guy. I don't think he deserves to be on the list this year. I think The Rock is the you know the guy that I voted for here, and I just look at it and you think, and a guy that that missed the cut uh, is Booker T, and I think you know he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. But if you look at the two companies, WCW and WWF, there's two guys that kind of started out the year in one place, and have ended the year in a much more highly elevated place. Booker T didn't quite have the ascent as The Rock did, but you can really see looking ahead, Booker T is going to be a big star. Uh, unless you know he gets swallowed up by the WCW politics, um, but The Rock started the year as an undercard guy. Started the year not really over, and by the end of the year, he's the heel champion, main foil to Steve Austin. I don't think there's any way you can look at the year '98 from January to December and not see The Rock as the the breakout star this year. And Booker T probably would have been my second uh, choice uh, if given the chance to rethink things. So do you think the rock star, don't forget he is currently the WWF champion. Right. Do you think his star is still rising then? Absolutely. I think he's a, you know, at this point he, you know, he's locked in one of those Bret Hart 94 championship feuds where he's not the top star. He's not headlining shows, but he is the world champion. Right. And so you see him locked in a feud with Foley right now as we close out 98. Um, and, uh, but Austin's still feuding with McMahon and The Undertaker. So there's still room for The Rock to grow, and he's the world champion. So he's kind of got that Bret Hart 93-94 air about him where there's still another level or two for him to get to. And I think The Rock could be a, a huge megastar. Uh, and I, I just wonder if there's room for he and Austin at the top of the at the top of the show. But, yeah, I think it's unbelievable where The Rock is and the fact that he still has another leap to make, I think. And again, one thing I will say about The Rock, he has made it all happen. He really, really has. Chris White, your views on how the cards have fallen in this particular category? I only voted for one of these men, much like Eric, and I, I believe it was the same man. I voted yes. for The Rock. Um, I, if you, I know this is from December 97, but if you cast it back to The Rock, who spent the first, I believe, eight months or so of, of our year as the Intercontinental Champion, um, he won he well he didn't win that title austin forfeited it and handed it to him and stunned him in the ring which is probably on a december episode of raw which is probably one of the lamest ways i've ever heard of someone winning a title um to get from there to december 98 where we've got a wwf pay-per-view named after him like he is the champion the show is named after him um I think his rise this year has been the most impressive. And as you alluded to, he made it happen. I think it's a testament to him. And I don't necessarily think he was 
treated or um he isn't where he is because the company protected him and booked him in a way to get him there if you told me a year ago that Vince McMahon had a, a had a plan for the rock and he saw the rock at the top of this card as this the, the heel WWF champion I wouldn't have believed you it didn't look like the Fed had a plan for him. We only have to go as far back as October to see him lose in five minutes to Mark Henry on pay-per-view. But now he's an outstanding heel champion and he does have room to grow and improve. He's sensational on the mic um, and, and, and he gets more comfortable and confident in his role. His promos will only improve. His in-ring's good, but again, that will also improve. I think he's risen the most this year but i also think he's got one of the highest ceilings that of anyone will talk on this talk about on this show tonight i think he's uh he would have been in any other year um where you didn't have from the wwf perspective austin and mcmahon and so many other just the main event scene in the fed this year he'd have been in the running for mvp for me the rock i i think where he's come his journey between through 98 has been sensational Yep. I'm really glad you mentioned that Raw in December 97 because that for me is where I really started to take notice of this guy. You've got Vince and Austin in the ring talking about where the IC title is going to go. Austin's future even as a character. The Rock just leans over, grabs the mic and says, Vince, The Rock thinks you should fire him. And what a tear he has been on on the 12 months from that particular moment. Dan, come in on this one, please. Uh, did you vote for anybody else in this list? I think you did. I voted for one of the guys in the list, but it wasn't The Rock. Um, everything that you, Eric and Chris, have said about The Rock is true. He has been incredible tour de force this year. Uh, on the mic, in terms of charisma, he has been an amazing talent. And he has. it's true that he has risen so much this year. I do think it's a little unfair that we... You know, this category is rising star, newcomer, best, all these, you know, words to basically say someone that is improving. And I think it's a little bit unfair to put someone like The Rock in this discussion because he is the WWF champion at the minute. So the guy yeah, I, I, must for, say, I, I did not vote for him in this category for that very reason. But uh, yes. do carry on. Yeah. The guy I voted for was for Chris Jericho because yeah. if you look at someone who you know, compare him to where he was in December 1997. A really bland vanilla babyface cruiserweight in WCW lost amongst better workers and better characters. And you now look at him where he is in December 1998. Yes, he's kind of being lost in the politics as always by most decent wrestlers in WCW, but he is a charisma machine. He can play, he's one of the best heels in the business. He's a brilliant wrestler. You know, he's he's not again, he's not the level of Guerrero Mysterio on their day, but he's still really good. He's been involved in some of the best segments, some of the most entertaining segments on Nitro. You know, just look at that 1004 hold promo, or arm bar, arm drag, you know, and just all those really little niche moments that make him so bloody entertaining to watch. And it's just, to me, it's just, you want to talk about a rising star. Nobody in WCW at the minute feels like someone who's organically got themselves over to that point like Chris Jericho has. Um, and has improved so much on where he was 12 months ago in terms of showing something that I never thought he would be capable of, judging by what you know he did in ECW for a little bit and then WCW for 18 months. This guy, if he can get 
somehow get out of the mid-card mediocrity seething that WCW's got such a problem with, he has, he has got the water his oyster, in my opinion. I just think he's so talented. Like, such a great all-round wrestler because he's got everything. He's got charisma. He's got, he got he can talk. He can wrestle. He can play heel. And he can kind of play face, as we've already seen. I just think he's got it all. Hold 672. The Super Blizzard. That's my favorite of all of those holds. <laughs> the moss-covered three-handled family Gradonza is just behind. <laughs> <laughs> Why Jericho and I voted for him in this list. We've talked about his microphone skills. He is the sort of person who you can put in a feud with anybody. And he is still a heel who ultimately you want to see get his ass beat. So he is somebody who can take clean losses at the ends of, end of feuds. And it isn't going to hurt him. He can talk his way right back into contention with anybody the next day. And you can forget all about it. He can make anything happen. I mean, this feud with Goldberg... Never really got going, but he sold it so on the microphone. I genuinely believed it was happening. I still think he probably needs a little bit of seasoning in the ring. But, uh, his in-ring work has improved since he turned heel, and he's definitely in that first tier of WCW workers. Towards the bottom of it, but definitely safely in there. And as long as he doesn't fall foul of too many politics in World Championship Wrestling, then he could have quite the ceiling. But as we've discussed on the shows, he might well be elsewhere before too long. So watch this space. Uh, Chris Lacey, I'm very intrigued to see where you're going to go on Rising Star based on these three nominations. Let's have your thoughts. See, I, like uh, Dan said, I overlooked The Rock on this because of him being the guy now. Um, I, I didn't really put it into the whole thing of, oh shit, actually, at the beginning of the year, he was literally nothing. Whereas I went with Elo, um, basically because I remember middle last year, he was just an outside grunt for the nation. He was one of the guys that would take a stunner before they got to Farouk or got to, you know, Mark Henry or someone that was actually there. And he has he has taken a, a technically a nothing title like the European belt and made it work. You know, he with that whole bit with him being billed from different places in Europe. Um, the whole chest protector thing, you know, he had a torn pec back in February, still wearing the chest protector now. He has he has literally taken scraps and made stuff with it. And he's really entertaining and he's had good matches pretty much constantly. I know obviously Eric said that the match at SummerSlam was a bit sloppy, but he's still... He is still green. He is still learning. Um, but yeah, he's one of those of. He is he is where the Rock was last year, um, and I can only see good things as Erica said. Like next year, maybe the the next step for him. But yeah, I I am very much into Delo, and I hope I do hope that he does continue. And if he can have a year like Rock has, like a year after he was uh, sort of a nothing then, you know, everything's going to be looking good in the Fed. So D'Lo made my voting list on this one as well. I would really like to see what he can do as a face. And I can see that coming before too long. He's been a heel ever since we first noticed him. And he's really excelled himself in that role. On the microphone, when called upon, he's been great. And in the ring, he is more than solid. Is he somebody who can sell convincingly? Can he carry a feud as a good guy? That remains to be seen. 
But for me, that is what this award is all about. Is somebody you can see when we all reconvene here in 12 months' time is fighting for another category. But I'm going to open this one open now. We've all made, once again, once again, fine cases. Chris White, your vote for this category. It may be a bit controversial, but I, I will stick with The Rock. Dan. Jericho. Chris Lacey. As I'm still saying that The Rock is, is too big of a star now, I'm still going to kick Steve with D-Lo. Eric, you get to pick the winner. You can't penalize a guy for being too big of a star when he wasn't that big of a star at the beginning of the year. That's the point. It's The Rock. And it is The Rock. Based, based on the way we are doing this, ladies and gents, in this situation, I do not get a final vote. The Rock does take it. D'Lo, I should say, let you a bit of light in on magic. D'Lo was my number one pick, but I don't really begrudge The Rock winning anything in this category. The man is a superstar. Is he a rising star? I don't know. But is he already a superstar? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> to mix our metaphors. Okay, let's have some fun. Worst match. And okay, I can hear you all salivating over this one. <laughs> Your listening devices. Tons of votes for tons of contenders here. But we did just get it down to a final three. And they were, in chronological order, Hollywood Hogan versus The Warrior from Halloween Havoc. In fact, no, I even missed that chronological order. <laughs> Two weeks before that, we had Undertaker and Kane from Judgment Day. Then we had Hogan Warrior from Halloween Havoc. And then we had, from November to remember, Tommy Dreamer and Jake Roberts teaming up against Just Incredible and, oh yes, Dave Meltzer's favourite from 1984, Jack Victory. Oh, the fun we can have with this. Lacey, get your feet wet. Modern, cupboard, filthy, effluent. Do it. See, um, I will start with the my least worst of these three, which was Taker and Kane, which had Austin as ref. The reason I put this in this list was because somehow they made a match about for Taker and Kane to be the next champion, the world heavyweight champion about Vince and Austin and basically shit on the belt and Kane and Taker were just going through the motions it was like the most paint by numbers thing and it was boring we then had Warrior and Hogan again this isn't 1990 anymore 10 minutes of fucking around and posing and literally doing fuck all with a little couple of punches and some running spots was shit. The ref bump was shit. The fucking interference by the NWO was shit. The fireball spot was shit. And also Hogan can get his jollies back and go, I got one back on the warrior. And because of that fucking match, I didn't get to see DDP and Goldberg because my Sky feed cut out because they overwent the pay-per-view. You are shit. But let's let's go for what really is the worst. Jack Victory and Just Incredible with the full entourage going against Tommy Dreamer, who for the month previous to this, we knew it was going to be a pick-your-partner, dream-partners match 
and there was loads of breadcrumbs dropped of New Jack or Terry Funk. But no, we get a whiskey-soaked smackhead who couldn't even be asked to turn up in time for the show, wanders out in his street clothes, which was a rugby top, who has no fucking reason to be anywhere near a wrestling room. And then go for 20 minutes of absolute shit. This isn't helped by the fact that Jack Victory does blow his knee out in the opening couple of minutes. I can forgive Jack Victory for that. He did land there. He took Tommy's plancher and he buckled his knee. It's okay. We've got the honor. So Jason got involved. It's fine. This match is everything that's wrong with wrestling. And I feel sorry for, for Dan, Chris and Rory, because you've had to now watch it to, to know how bad it was. And obviously Eric, you've, you've had my plentiful of apologies for making you sit through this on what was a terrible, terrible show. It's the worst. I tell you what, maybe it's not so cut and dried. Yes, Dan, we had a chat off air about this match, and you said to us quite simply, it sucked. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> no, do you need to? Oh, this is so boring. Like, so the ghost of Jake Roberts comes in to warn us to, you know, don't watch this match, you know, and we didn't listen to him because it's, I don't think he, he just walks around the ring a little bit poses for the crowd to ask for to do the DDT and he does the DDT and I think that's all he did in that entire match and yeah it's, it's just dull it's like easy this is ECW and I'm bored to tears watching an ECW match just something is wrong with that sentence it was awful but there's a huge but here it doesn't even come close to how bad Hogan v Warrior was I don't think, Rory, I listened to your amazing review of that match two months ago, and I still don't think you used enough bad words to describe this match. It is atrocious, an absolute crime on the industry that this match took place and went on for as long as it did. Chris, Lacey, I know that you have a an ethos that bad is worse than boring, and I will generally go along with that, but... In isolation, Hulk Hogan setting his face on fire is hilarious. <laughs> exactly. That's why Tommy and the tag match is worse but than the Warrior the Hogan. Problem, the problem is, in isolation, that's true. But when it's come after 13 fucking minutes of Hogan versus Warrior, where they literally have done one wrestling move that wasn't a punch or a kick in the entire match up until that point, you just want the whole world to swallow them whole and never return to WCW ever again. It's not funny. It's just cringe-inducing. And I never, ever want to see a match that bad on pay-per-view ever again. It is atrocious. Don't forget the log roll. <laughs> Fucking log roll. Eric, let rip. Worst elbow drops I've ever seen as well. <laughs> so I voted for two of these. Yes. Um, and the thing about the tag match in November to remember is it's it's really it's real bad okay uh but it's like an it's like a, a rotten onion and the, you watch it and there's just so many layers to peel away and we say that oh it's Jake 
the Snake Roberts and Tommy. No, it's not Jake the Snake Roberts. As I said on the show, on the November to Remember show, it's Jake Roberts. It's a guy in a rugby shirt and Spalding sweatpants and tennis shoes out there to collect a paycheck, stand on the apron. And then you watch it and your eyes start to bleed because there are so many little subtle things to pick up on and they're all equally terrible. And then think about this match that makes it especially terrible in the context of the entire terrible show is terry funk's involved too and you need to watch november to remember in order to understand why terry funk is relevant or irrelevant to this entire thing but terry funk's involved too and what's great about ecw is you have terry funk and you have jake roberts and they're standing four feet from one another and jake roberts just walks away and neither of them are promoted to show up on the show there's no interaction between them you have two of the biggest stars of the 70s and 80s and even in the early 90s with Jake's K and they just don't interact they don't have anything and so ECW not only puts on this terrible match between four off or three awful wrestlers and Tommy Dreamer who's who's good enough and just incredible who's who's fine but everybody else involved with that match and there were a lot of them were terrible but that that match just encapsulates why November to remember was a terrible show but the one thing that they didn't have working against them was that we all hadn't seen them come out and have a great match not that many years ago and with Hogan and Warrior, we saw them have, I think in my case, is the most surprisingly awesome match between two non-workers that could have possibly been put together. That WrestleMania 6 main event is epic. It's iconic. It's awesome. I don't think any of us cannot sit down and enjoy that match. And they, they tried to do it again, and it, it was the opposite. And I think... Just based on that alone, this has to be a worse. This has to be a worse match because we've seen those guys do something so good, and they come out and do something so terrible. So not only have they had a bad match, but they've undone all the goodwill from that excellent match they had not that long ago. You know, I, I totally agree with everything you say about the WrestleMania Six match, but I think one of my many, many, many problems with Hogan Warrior this time around is that they weren't trying to do an epic match. It didn't feel important from bell to bell. I mean, we can criticize the in-ring skills in that match until the cows come home, and we would be quite right to do so. But that's almost, to some degree, that's not really the most important thing. If it had been 15 minutes of them just throwing what bombs they have at each other, then I might have been a bit more sympathetic towards it. But it was 10 minutes of weak test of strength arm ringer spots and log rolls and <laughs> fireballs not going off and Horace freaking Hogan and all the 50 synonyms I came up with last time. Uh, Chris White, this rogues gallery before us, what, what do you have to add to this uh, this princely discussion? I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle here, but I'm, I'm <laughs> going to try and fight it anyway. Um, so my pick is... The Undertaker versus Kane at Judgment Day for the WWF title. Um, I anticipated how this category was going to go. So as such, I went back and listened to uh, myself, uh, Rory and Chris Lacey review this match uh, two months ago in October. And uh, Chris Lacey, for this award, I, I mean, you have every right to, to change your mind. Like, of course you do. But verbatim from you, on that October show, you said that this match was worse than Warrior and Hogan. 
at Halloween Havoc verbatim. You said it was worse. You said uh, that Warrior and Hogan was a bad match, probably one of the worst pieces of shit you, in history. Is a, but it was memorable and not boring old Tosh. And as a result, The Undertaker and Kane was worse. Rory, uh, me and you had quite a lengthy discussion on that show about how that match was for the WWF title. Oh, yes. And as you so eloquently <laughs> put, Rory, in October, nobody cared. Not even The Undertaker cared. Not even Kane cared. The, the fans didn't care. No one cared. They messed up the simplest of moves. It was more than a bad or boring match. It undercut and undervalued the WWF title. Storylines come and go, but a belt, a belt, a title belt, a championship belt can add credibility or value to a show, a storyline, a wrestler. It's a prop that you use at all times in your company. It's so much more than the semi-main on a pay-per-view uh, when you've got Goldberg as your champion and, um, okay, it had other issues with the pay-per-view overrunning and things like that. Um, but it's so much more because the next month, Warrior's gone. That's it. We, we've moved past it. Undervaluing a belt can have long-term ramifications, and this match is the epitome of that. If you want to say that Warrior and Hogan was worse in ring, I would agree with you. But that that match wasn't an outright detriment to the top title within a company. And if you want to say that the ECW match was worse in ring, I would also agree with you. But as someone, I can't remember who, I'm very sorry, pointed out, when Jake was uh, being cheered, uh, he was amping up to do his DDT. Do you know what was going on in that arena? The crowd were chanting for the DDT. They were invested. They were there for the match. They were chanting DDT. It was loud. There was no such moment, no such spot in the main event of WWF Judgment Day. And we had Stone Cold Steve Austin in that ring and nobody cared. Wow. Chris, nowhere to hide white there. I'll tell you what, Lacey, he's got us pegged. <laughs> so him saying that, I feel, I feel that, you know, he might have, he's definitely got a point. He's, point he's of clarification for Lacey, though. Which is November to remember came after that rant. Yes. So I will I will definitely put the Taker Kane match above Warrior and Hogan. But I I don't know if, if it was if devaluing the title is is worse than the lowest moment in a shit show. Be careful what you say. Chris Weiss is listening. I think it's time to vote on this one, don't you? Okay, then. So what have we got? We've got Jake Roberts in a Wigan Warriors shirt. We've got the most boring WWF title match in history. Or we have the proverbial two bold men fighting over a comb. Dan. Two bold men fighting over a comb. Eric. They may have ruined the WWF title, but you know what ruined my fucking childhood? Hogan Warrior. <laughs> Brilliant. Chris White. I'm going to vote for The Undertaker versus Kane. It all hangs on you, Lacey. He, he swayed me. Kane and Taker. Wow. So, split wow. vote. So, 
That means I get to make the tough decision and give it to Hogan Warrior. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think the phrase is bad trumps boring. Is that not right, Mr. Lacey? Have I quoted that correctly? You have. No, I have to give it to Hogan Warrior. A lot closer than I was expecting, but it was a disgrace in every single way. Its existence was a disgrace. The build was a disgrace. The in-ring was a disgrace, make no mistake. And like Eric said, hacked up our memories of eight years ago and cut them into ten zillion tiny little pieces. Don't just remember, kids, we do this for you. <laughs> do we ever. Award number five, and I'm going to make this one a quick one, non-wrestler. And again, a lot of split votes here, meaning five nominations made it through. But uh, I just want you to pick up on the ones you voted for, gents, and we'll get through this, because again, I, I can see the winner being quite clear. But non-wrestler nominees as we have them. Joel Gertner. Briscoe and Patterson as one. Paul Bearer, Jim Ross, and Vince McMahon. Eric, pick up on those, please. Uh, I voted for Paul Bearer and Vince McMahon. Uh, I think I'll just shout out Paul Bearer for being the most reliable manager promo that exists in wrestling today. And he single-handedly has resurrected this Undertaker-Kane feud and made it palpably interesting when it seems that there's no more juice to be sucked out of this turnip. So I think he, like last year, which is my, you know, uh, we'll go down in the archives as you know my my verbal tribute to Paul Bear, and I think he should have won a lot of awards for '97. I just think he deserves to be mentioned in '98, but I don't think he's going to win here. I didn't vote for Paul Bearer, I must say, but one of my personal favorite little moments of the year was him putting on Vader's mask and walking around with that one a few months ago. There, there are so many gems with him. He's like Bobby Heenan, and if you're watching or listening closely, they're there. Agreed. Uh, Chris White, what do we got from this category? So for me, I, I I put forward one name because I oh, found yes. it too difficult to make a case for someone else within that company when this man was there. Is Vince McMahon? He is the non-wrestler of the year, um, and it, it, that's just him as an on-screen character. I mean, as a promoter this year, you'd give it to him as well. Like the the, the way he's turned the Fed's fortunes around, uh, like. Well, the, the stat I threw out earlier, more than double the amount of pay-per-view buys of WrestleMania. Got Mike Tyson in. The Stone Cold Steve Austin Vince McMahon feud has carried this company. And he might even be a more important part of that feud than Stone Cold Steve Austin is. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but it you can you can make a case for it. You can probably make a better case for it than I tried to make for The Undertaker versus Kane at Judgment Day. Ultimately, he's a sensational promo. He is the perfect heel foil. And with him in his role, it creates so many opportunities elsewhere in the card because now we have the corporation and you see sort of what The Rock is able to do in this position. Like, And that is because of the effectiveness of Vince McMahon's character, the storyline with Shane and the whole Survivor Series card is just like the epitome of like the conniving Vince McMahon character. And it's the perfectly booked show and the narrative weaves in and out throughout the night. And in the end, Vince McMahon has pulled the wall over our eyes and he's got one over us and he's got one over on Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it's just the perfect show. And it it comes down to the Vince McMahon character, the effectiveness of his promos, the effectiveness of his segments, his facial expressions. For me, the clear outstanding candidate in this category. And we will come back to Vince very, very shortly. I put Briscoe and Patterson as one vote onto this list. 
We talk so often about how the best wrestling characters are themselves with the volume turned up to 11, and that is the case with these two. Backstage, they are the most obsequious suck-ups you could ever hope to never see. And on screen, they are the most obsequious suck-ups you could ever hope to see. They are perfect pratfalling villains. I will use that word, villains. They are the two guys in the hats with the Tommy guns trying to protect the Big Don and failing to do so every time. But all, you almost got to give them grudging credit for the fact they try and fail on each and every occasion. The fact that Vince McMahon has taken these two washed up, overweight wrestlers, who when you think about it should mean nothing to the fan base in 1998, and he's made them two of the most overheels in the company. Once again, testament to his off-screen skills and the fact that where these two have found their chops is, is beyond me. But again, long may it continue. Um, how did Jim Ross get onto this list? Who, who put him on there? That was me. Uh, go ahead. Is, is this a how on earth has he got on this list? Because no, no, no. It's all just a please, Jim. I, I think he's worthy. Um, worthy of mentioning. Worthy he, of mentioning. Uh, so go ahead. Honestly, he has come a lot closer than I thought. Actually, of winning this award for me, just because I think he has been the best play-by-play commentator of the decade in this year alone. He has been fantastic with his memorable calls. You know, think of all the great moments of Austin, you know, crashing through stages with vehicles, a certain spot that we'll come to later on the show at King of the Ring, Tyson's appearances, all the DX calls. All of these I've just made so that much more like more iconic because Jim Ross is calling them. You know, if this was Eric Bischoff or Tony Schiavone or Vince McMahon calling these, they would be great, but they you wouldn't remember them as vividly in your head as you do because Jim Ross is calling them. And that's just what, you know, what makes a commentator so good is that he adds so much to the product you're watching. And even then just so, you know, into the nitty gritty side of things, he can tell stories so well, he can call the moves. He, he's quite, you know, his Southern draw biting humor is actually quite good when he has to put down the King. I just think he's been absolutely incredible this year. It does help again that the, the top star of the company is, is one of his best mates, so he can just switch on that passion. But I just think he's been absolutely incredible this year and has been the soundtrack to the Vince McMahon Stone Cold Feud. And it's just been, it's just added that extra dimension to it because he's just so passionate. He's just so pro Stone Cold that it's impossible not to root for Austin even more because you've got this beloved, beloved guy you know, rooting for him all the time. And you want to know how important he is to the company? Go and listen to the commentary of Rock Bottom when he has unfortunate missing because of that Bell's palsy attack. And you notice how much of a drop there is between the number one announcer in the company and the number two announcer in the company with Michael Cole. With God as my witness, he's been broken in half. That call alone would put Jim Ross in every contention of winning this non-wrestler award but as you say he is the soundtrack i completely agree with you dan just reliving in my head now all of the austin mcmahon stuff it's jr calling it they say it is a commentator's job to enhance the action <laughs> you would almost think that it doesn't need enhancing but just try watching anything anything especially some of the drag we get in ring without his calls it really doesn't bear thinking about uh, Chris Lacey, you made Joel Gartner, Joel Gartner, Joel Gartner a contender here. 
he obviously we know who's winning this, so there's no point in even trying to sort of make it about anyone else but him. But Gertner has come from from nowhere. He's basically just some guy that you know is a fat lad in a tux. But my God, can he get some fucking heat when he opens up for the Dudleys? Um, in ECW, you would think that you know it would take a lot to cross a line, and Gertner can do it so easily every week. Every show that he's on, he comes up with a new opening bit. And they're always funny. They're always topical. They are just constantly there. And we had a few weeks where he was doing some commentary as well. And he showed that he had the chops to do that. He is definitely, you know, the voice for ECW that I reckon if you were going to go with a two-man booth, him and Joey together would just be perfect. And I just feel that he want, he needed some recognition. We know that it's going to Vince. It's not even worth go, going to the vote. But that recognition is what Joel, Joel needed. See, for many people, if they started the year by saying on the mic that they were, and I quote, harder than the tree that killed Sonny Bono, you think <laughs> there would be nowhere else to go from there? but that was just the jumping off point for everything else he gave us in the remaining 11 months of the year. And yeah, I think he's terrific. He's, I think the Dudleys need him. I think if he wasn't there, they would be almost too scary, a bit too intimidating. He makes them a slightly more believable act, in my opinion. Because I don't believe the Dudleys would be allowed to exist if they didn't have this, and I'm going to use this in the best possible terms, clown hanging around with them he does help with residual heat when he gets involved in the ring and he's there you know doing little baby little stamps on somebody and waving his hands in the air i think he's terrific and yes if they do want to put him on commentary because i think joey desperately needs a commentary partner they could do a whole lot worse but yeah let's get some votes eric who are you picking from this list for non-wrestler vince mcmahon oh, of course you are dan Highly commendable Jim Ross, but Vince McMahon. And Chris White. I'd like to echo uh, Dan. Uh, big shout out to Jim Ross, but yeah, Vince McMahon. Lacey. VKM. Yes, everybody, it's that Vince McMahon. You know, the one, the blue suit, the press on hair, the welcome everyone, the and then from there, the look at that maneuver. Yes. That Vince McMahon, the greatest bad guy in all scripted entertainment. Just think about that. As we take you into our sixth award of the evening, our worst booking decision. Now, this one was pretty interesting. There was something that snuck in here that I thought would make it into another category, but uh, we do get to discuss it, I'm pleased to say. So the top or bottom three for the worst booking decision of the year. The brawl for all in general. And then we have two from the same pay-per-view, listeners. You know which one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll tell you anyway. Yes, it is Eric Bischoff defeating Ric Flair. And yes, it is Kevin Nash ending Goldberg's streak with the aid of a castle prod. Chris Lacey, open up the proceedings here, please. Well, seeing the fact that my, my top two ones didn't even make the shortlist, I will have to go with what I went as third 
which is why would you kill your biggest baby face on your big show of the year with a really really lazy use of a cattle prod i know that you know nash has power in his booking but really i thought we were out of the 80s where you know you book yourself to be a champion because you know you can't lose the belt that way this isn't the fucking territories boys you don't have to have the belt yourself and why why nash and why the way i didn't know it's just just shit okay chris i'll just come back to you on this one to play devil's advocate here or angel's advocate i suppose if Nash goes up at Goldberg completely cleanly, you know, Goldberg misses a spear on the rebound, Nash catches him, jackknife, one, two, three. Nash is still the world champion. Goldberg's streak is still over. Does it make this list? Because I still think it does. As bad as the cattle prod was, like I say on that show, that was just the bookers showing how clever they were. Yeah, it still makes think, a list I because it's still job defends. You know, I know Goldberg's got to lose at some point, and I go into this in much more detail on that show if you haven't heard it already. But I still think it gets on here, even even then. Yeah, the cutoff does not help. Don't get me wrong. No, it's it's the fact of we've had it for the last two years since the NWO started as a thing. They have been the be all and end all on WCW. They had an amazing build with Sting, and they fucked that last year. They've had an amazing build with Goldberg, and they fucked it this year. Why does it have to be the fucking NWO? Why? Why can't you know? All right, let him lose, but DDP, fucking Sting, lose Brett. You know, you've got fucking Brett there that's wasting away. You've got Benoit. You've got people that you could build and make stuff with. It doesn't have to be the same old fuckers. The same old fuckers. (laughs) As we move into a new millennium, it's all about the same old fuckers. Chris White, talk to me about the Brawl for All, if you dare. The Brawl for All was an absolutely atrocious idea simply because well there's so many reasons but the thing that was most offensive to me as a wwf fan was it came off the back of a king of the ring tournament where ken shamrock won but like it meant absolutely nothing like there was no booking benefit to having a scripted professional wrestling tournament within a scripted professional wrestling company so in the wake of that, they decided to have a shoot fighting tournament with a bunch of guys who don't know how to shoot fight. It had absolutely no promotional benefit for the company. And a lot of people got hurt. And it was bad TV. It was bad fighting. I don't want to go too much on about Brawl for All because I'm sure other people have other things to say about it. And also, I know when I'm beat. And uh, I feel like Brawl for All probably won't win this category. So I'll leave it there. But yeah, Brawl for All was truly atrocious. Yes, I thought Brawl for All really should have been discussed in another category a bit later on. But at least we've had the chance to say how terrible it was. Eric, on our WCW show, you declined, understandably, to even discuss Bischoff Bischoff beating Ric Flair. 
you are not going to be so lucky this time. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about McMahon and Austin potentially facing off at WrestleMania. Now imagine that happens, but McMahon goes over with the one, two, three. Okay, that's unfathomable, right? Except it's what WCW did at its biggest show of the year between its Vince McMahon and a guy who's not at the level of Stone Cold Steve Austin anymore, but a guy that basically carried the name of the show, the Starcade. We can't go around this bend and think of any other guy more synonymous with Starcade than Ric Flair. Good luck. And he gets beat by his boss, who looks whose body looks like a bag of uh, a bag of soup. Like, come <laughs> on, <laughs> a bag of soup. Is that before or after the hot water's been added to it? And and you have yeah right, and, <laughs> uh, hot something, not water. Um, and you have Kurt Hennig out there again completely devalued by WCW because they can't use any of his relevant intellectual property to cost Ric Flair this match. So we're rehashing the finish of last year's war games at 18 months or 13 months later, however long it is. And you have Ric Flair agreeing to do this job. It's just worst booking decision. I think transcends what you see on the screen. And, and even though they tried to undo it the night before or the night after on nitro, you still have on record Eric Bischoff, untrained wrestler, going over Ric Flair at Starcade. I don't see how it can be worse than that. By pinfall, no less, everybody. By pinfall. By pinfall. In the middle of the ring. By pinfall. Dan, with everything we've discussed, show no mercy. Uh... I, I can't summarize Flair and Bischoff more than better than that with Eric. Um, I didn't even think about the Vince McMahon and Austin comparison, but that is so true, and it's that makes it even worse. And um, it's weird because I originally put Nash and in the streak as my number one, but I'm thinking about it now, and I'm probably going to bump it down to number three, um, just because you know, as much as we want to hate on him, Nash is still ridiculously overface WCW, so. You know, I can understand it. I think it's the wrong decision, obviously, but at least I can understand it. And the thing that is making me think about it a little bit more is that these two decisions that we've discussed are horrible. We, they are absolutely atrocious that never should have been done at all and make us angry to be wrestling fans. But at least they only happened on one night. The brawl went on for two bloody months. And it was just utter dross every single bloody time it makes you want to tune out and watch the other program as soon as this started and it's not something that they could relegate into sunday night heat or or some shotgun saturday night they had to put it on raw and it just makes you wonder like you know yes it is atrocious that eric bush went over rick flair but again they could make up for it really quickly when they realized they made a mistake Brawl for went on and they was locked into it. And as Chris White has said, a lot of people got hurt. They didn't know how to shoot fight. There's no grand plan. They didn't make they didn't make anyone better for it. Bart Gunn, you know, I said when, in August that Bart Gunn's won the thing. They'll make him at least some somewhat of a star. I don't think he was on TV at all after he won it. It's just atrocious. Atrocious, long, protracted, boring. 
TV that was done because of one stupid decision made by Bradshaw, by all accounts. You know, good, well done for you, sir. And and I don't know. I think I am going to actually vote for Brawl Four because as a, I, I like my boxing, I like my mixed martial arts, and just I don't watch wrestling to see people in shoot fight in shoot sport have tough man contests because if I wanted to see that. I would watch actual sport. And this was so long and it was so boring and it's just something I want to forget about really quickly. Perfectly put. The only thing I'll add to that on the brawl for all, Vince McMahon, the ultimate control freak. And this year I mean that in a good way. Dedicated two months of his own programming to something he had zero control over. He was leaving it purely to the people in the ring. Uh, let alone the three people getting injured and four people getting through to the quarterfinals when they were knocked out of the first round and it not even being discussed on pay-per-view. This was TV time being given up for something where Vince McMahon just had to let it happen and see where the cards fell. He isn't a sport promoter for a reason. Vince McMahon tried to promote boxing a few years ago. It did not work. He tried to promote bodybuilding a few years ago. That did not work either just yet. I'm still not sure it deserves being in worst booking decision category, but we've had a chance to tear it to shreds just one more time because I think we can safely say it won't be coming back next year and it's fully deserved. So, Dan, you are voting for Brawl for All in this category, yeah? Correct. Okay. Chris White, where are we going? This is really tough. Um, I think I've been swayed by Eric and I will have to go against the WWF here and uh, go for... Eric Bischoff and, and Ric Flair. That's, that's some confirmation, Eric. Here's why it's not Brawl for All, because it involved a bunch of mid-card and low-card nobodies. This was Ric Flair at Starcade losing to Eric Bischoff. There is only one choice here. <laughs> you heard the man, Lacey. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to Brawl for All. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because? <laughs> because I know that you're not going to go with with Nash, which was obviously my choice. And actually, after hearing him speak about it, Brawlful really was a fucking awful idea. So it's uh, come to me then, has it? Okay, once again, oh, both absolutely terrible. Amazing to think that Nash winning with a cattle prod has got no votes at all in the final one. When actually won, I should say that was streets ahead in the voting, but um, it hasn't made it into the final cut. And yes, I'm just stalling here because I'm trying to make my decision. Uh... Bart Gunn BSing with a D-list actor on the opening edition of Sunday Night Heat after winning the Brawl for All, for me, is not as egregious as a door-to-door -door meat salesman having a pinfall victory over Rick Effin Flair. So the worst booking decision, Eric Bischoff defeating Rick Flair at Starcade. That Pacific so, Blue girl is really hot, too. Pacific Blue. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, no, that's important. Oh, if you said that one, yeah. Pacific Blue. Okay. Maybe that's one for a watch long in the future. Okay. One more before we take a break, listeners, and you'll probably want to press pause after this one for a while, too, to regain your bearings. And that is our best segment of the year. Again, the voting went all over the shop on this one. And the three which made it through. I didn't really get particularly high scoring, but they're here and that's what it's all about. Two of which feature Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Mike Tyson incident in January. 
and we've got the Zamboni as well, which surprised me a little bit. And we've also got the return of Ric Flair and the Horseman in September. Where shall we start with this one? Um, Dan, kick us off. Well, I'm pretty pleased because these are all three of mine. So they were indeed. Um, Tyson Austin, let's just put it blankly, is the biggest moment in wrestling that really sparked the catalyst for the entire year for the WWF. I mean, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin, the biggest name in wrestling this year, with Mike fucking Tyson. That's it. That's all you need to say. And the biggest thing was that Stone Cold did not look like some small wrestler squaring up to one of the biggest sportsmen in the world. He felt like he belonged. And he almost carried the segment because he's every single word is cheered by the fans. You know, Mike Tyson is great, you know, just trying to be a professional sportsman, but then losing his rag. And then as Chris White has mentioned before, Vince is screaming at Austin after the altercations finished is a very subtle little spark that again starts that entire feud the most emotional moment is clearly rick flair's return in my opinion i mean it's flair country the crowd are just so excited to see him you know all the guys coming out in tux is is just you know gives you shivers down your spine and then when arn brings him out and the tears are in his eyes and he's clearly soaking in all the adulation from the crowd it's fantastic to see the commentary is great and then that little tease that eric bischoff comes down to ring and saying he's finished and rick flair blowing in a gasket you know you no good son of a bitch it's fantastic it's just a shame that again that it ruined it three months later but my again my this is a purely personal choice but nothing has made me smile more as a wrestling fan this year than austin coming out in the zamboni it's a, just every single little star aligning this year came together into that one segment. The unexpectedness of it all, the crowd being molten for Austin coming out of the ring, Austin just being hilarious, you know, mouthing off to Vince and the crowd as he comes down the ring. JR and comment, JR's commentary is fantastic. The moment of him clotheslining Vince as he runs across the, the roof of the machine. <laughs> It's just, it's just amazing. It's just something that you don't expect to see on the wrestling show, but it, it sometimes at the same time made perfect sense for it to happen. It, it, it's, it's a personal thing. I just love that segment to death. It's so entertaining, and again, it's entertaining. And for a Vince McMahon company, that is the most important thing. Chris White, chime in on any of these. Uh, for example, you were on the WCW show in September where you got to commentate on the Ric Flair return. What do you think of what we've got here? I think I largely echo everything that Dan said. Uh, the Mike Tyson segment is, is so important. The Ric Flair segment is clearly the most emotionally important. And the Zamboni is probably the most fun. Um, I wouldn't argue strongly against anyone voting for any of these i think they're all very very good candidates personal preference backed up by a little bit of weight towards the importance of the segment in terms of is there any tangible improvement or benefit for having the best non-match segment for the company and it, for me the when you add that element to it the only thing that separates these three is wcw completely botched 
the Flair and Bischoff stuff, as as we've previously discussed. Uh, the Zamboni is a wonderful and entertaining part of a basically year-long ongoing storyline where I'm sure we're going to be in for plenty more wackiness and fun in 1999. But for me, the Mike Tyson on Raw, and as Dan rightly points out, he is a peer of Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's not like the heavyweight boxing superstar Mike Tyson and some wrestler. They feel like peers. And having Tyson involved in WrestleMania and that segment lighting the match that started the Austin-McMahon feud, for me, that has to be the best segment of the year because it was the most important segment of the year. Yeah, see, I didn't even vote for Tyson Austin and now I'm cursing myself for not doing so. I think it's because, and this is nobody's fault but Tyson's, the spectre of cold stoned being my main man still <laughs> for me. but that isn't the fault of anybody else <laughs> eric what are your thoughts on what we've got here i i echo uh the sentiment about uh the sentiment about uh not being able to vote for the rick flair segment just because of we're voting on this at the end of the year and not in real time uh, and even looking back through my notes, I had Ric Flair returning as a moment of the year, like a consideration. And then I remembered I watched Starcade, and there's no good way I could vote for that long term. Uh, I think Tyson and Austin is just one of those moments that's going to just carry through uh, for a lot longer than any other of these segments. And Zamb- the Zamboni was awesome and it was hilarious. And uh, Austin had so many good segments on Raw this year, though. I mean, there were so many of those that didn't even make the cut. And I think the Zamboni just fits in with those where there's a reason why Raw was not, was can't miss television was because of things like that. But the reason why Raw became can't miss television was because of Mike Tyson. So I think that's why that, I think for me, there's one, and then there's a bunch of others that are also almost as good. Yeah, just on this, for example, Dr. Austin, I'll take oh my God. from here, Nurse. That got one vote in third place, I think. Oh, that, was my, the, that was my vote. Yeah, that was the, my oh, vote. Yes, that's right. I've got, got them in front of me. The April the 13th Raw, anything from there didn't make the cut at all. So it's, you, you could pick anything Austin-related. This category is twice. so hard. I, I yeah. imagine if, if you we could name 10 each, probably, and like the... How many do we have between categories? 98? 98 in total, yeah. You could cram so many into this category so hard. There's going to be so many forgotten ones. Yeah, My second one was the Easy Way Hard Way promo. I was the only person who even voted for that, and it didn't make the cut here. (laughs) But uh, Chris Lacey, before we sum this one up, we don't see many Zambonis at Villa Park and Carrow Road. I kind of wish we would now. They would be much more interesting to see and sort of, you know, mow the grass with that. Though I am, I can't, I can't, you know, understate how disappointed I am that Danny Doring's paternity results, finding out that Hoots' father didn't make the shortlist. Everybody, that was Chris Lacey's number one. After everything we've seen this year, that was his number one segment of the year. We won't hold it against him. It's comedy gold, and it's all done within a minute. It's perfect ECW TV. Best segment of the year. Well, so, your format has just been justified with that one vote. <laughs> you've been, Chris, you've been here longer than any of us have. You should know better. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, Austin and the Zamboni just 
for me, it sums up the anarchy and the anything that can happen nature of, of Raw. You've got Austin sort of driving out, pulling a light trussle down. That could have caused the show to go off the air. But they don't care. They still go on it. They ram it into the ring. He attacks them. The crowd are losing their shit. There's a fucking blow up Austin gets lobbed into the ring. It's just comedy gold and just amazing. And then you just get a perfect sound bite at the end of it is when he's getting put in the police car and he just shouts, I ain't through with you, Vince. I ain't through with you by a long shot. That sound clip is going to be put on so many things. And that is just one of, as you, as we've all said, one of many moments in the whole Austin Vince scenario that's gone on all year. But thinking about what everyone else has said, I, I didn't think of it, but it really does need to be the winner is Austin and Tyson. Because if that doesn't happen, you don't get, I don't think you get as big of a mania, which then means Austin's crowning isn't such a big thing. And we don't get everything that then follows. So that's a vote for Tyson Austin from you, yeah, Chris? Yeah. Chris White, where are we going? Tyson and Austin. Dan? Ah, Zamboni, I love it too much. Eric? Tyson and Austin. Yep, there we go. Tyson Austin, yep. Deserved winner in this category, I think, although I didn't vote for it, because <laughs> it took place in January, the day after the Royal Rumble, and that edition of Raw is such an important one in the canon throughout the year. It puts the wheels in motion for what you're going to be getting, hopefully, for the next 11 months. And here you have Austin Tyson, Mike Tyson. That was Chris White has rightly said. They are peers in the ring at this particular point. And you can believe the two of them having the rock of all rocks against each other. And yes, from there you get your WrestleMania main event. And there you get Austin taking off the one thing he needed. And it's been all plain sailing from there and boy are we off to the races so yes tyson austin our segment of the year for 1998 and award number eight oh this one's going to be fun again worst show of the year four nominations here and none from the wwf interestingly we have got in no particular order november to remember road wild fall brawl and starcade lacy i know where you're going to start us November to remember was that that may have broken the podcast. It is the first time that a show has got a zero rating. And I thought I was being generous by giving it a two just because I was like, it was awful. And I was the highest rating on that show. We've already spoke about the worst match on the show. But everything on this show was just so fucking boring. You opened up with Terry Funk coming out with some bullshit promo with a university hat on his head. He then comes out in the opening match and ruins it by hogging the camera. At one point, he fucking pile drives himself through a table just because, and you lose what was a good match. You then have no title matches on the show because the main event has all your champions in one match. 
which destroys a lot of the flow of the show. You then have a, ta a, a referees match where there's two guest referees, one of them being Sunny, where half of the beginning part of it is five minutes of her putting on her trainers. This, I never thought I'd say it, but this is the worst show I have ever seen, and it has come from my favourite thing, which is ECW. It is going to take some beating. Eric, has time softened your stance on November to remember at all? I think I know the answer. The answer is no. I thought it might be. And and for those curious listeners, I was the individual who gave November to remember a zero out of ten. And if you haven't listened to that show, and if you haven't watched the show we reviewed, I implore you to, if you disagree, that this was the worst show of the year. And the reason I gave the show a zero out of ten is because it wasn't just a bad show, nor was it just a boring show, nor was it just a confounding show. It was a show that actively made every person that appeared on it and the company that branded the show worse. ECW would have been in a much better position if five minutes before the show went on, it was canceled. Starcade was bad, but there were some good gems in there. The first 30 minutes had Billy Kidman working like a horse, and it was fine. It had two confounding booking decisions and some confounding matches, but it did not make everybody who appeared on it worse. The WCW shows, Road Wild and Fall Brawl, fine. Those are typically bad late, you know, late in the year WCW shows. If you vote against November to Remember as the best show, as the worst show of the year, it's simply because you haven't watched it. You heard it, everybody. Uh, Chris White, uh, you didn't vote for it, but you were on the show. I gave you, you know, gracious boss that I am, September 1998 WCW. So you got to call Fall Brawl in all its glory. Well, it's difficult because I am one of the people who will maybe fortunate enough to have never seen November to Remember. But I have listened to the review of it, and I don't feel like I can put too much into this when I, I know how the voting is going to go, basically. Full Brawl was a bad show. Um, there were some good points on it. The Cruiserweight match wasn't all that bad. Uh, Saturn and Raven, I don't think, was atrocious. But some of the things on the show were atrocious. The main event was atrocious. Um, the opener was terrible. But I'm not pro best placed to argue with Chris and Eric. And I've heard the review. I've heard the zero out of 10. I did not give Full Brawl a zero out of 10. And you know what? If two is a generous rating then from Chris, then I, I have to bow to the superior opinions of, of those two men. I will be voting for ECW November to remember without having seen it. <laughs> you don't know how lucky you are. Dan, what have we got here? Uh, yeah, I, I when I submitted my ballot, I I put Road Wild first, um, and I probably will always nominate Road Wild as worst show of the year until they move out of Sturgis because it is an absolutely atrocious venue to hold a wrestling show. It's attended by 
bunch of racist bikers who don't care about wrestling, and I'm convinced only pop because there's some woman in high heels with a placard going, cheer, boo, chant Goldberg. And they somehow managed to make the last year's show worse when it was already bad by having Hulk Hogan, that bald bastard self of Jade Leno, of all, <laughs> of all people, you know? But but the uh, the saving grace of that show is that there's an absolute tremendous Jericho Guerrero match in there, and I do struggle to to nominate a show which does have a really really good match in there because there is something that you can actually go in there and look forward to seeing. And I was like Chris White, I hadn't seen November to Remember, but had listened to the review and thought, well, this has clearly has to be nominated for it. But because I'm a sucker for punishment, I've wanted and I thought to myself, I can't really go into this. Uh, show and not see this atrocity of a show and now i know why it was nominated um for this award because it was absolutely awful boring for, in an ecw promotion is worse than bad no good match on the show and something that i hate hate in pay-per-views which is singles guys main eventing in tag matches and there's so many of them on this show so many on this show and it's unforgivable how they structured that card uh yeah not watching this i would have probably given this very high commendable just listening to the review of, of chris and of and eric but after watching it i can definitely understand why it was so harsh so I think November to remember has won this one, hasn't it, everybody? Yes. We've got three. Just one, yeah. at least Road Wild, which I did vote for here. It does have two saving graces. One, the matchup, which Dan has mentioned. And two, Tony Schiavone trying to talk about the good points that Sturgis has and just giving up after 30 seconds to say, <laughs> or you could just come here and look at the women. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even trying at that point. Yeah, I have no issue at all with November to remember winning this. November to forget. November to forget. But I don't think we ever will. A top three worst match of the year. Shane Douglas doing the job to Sabu at a tag main event. Unless we forget, unless we forget, Sonny hitting a stunner on Lance Storm, which he sold. Yeah, November to remember, worst show of the year. I expect better from ECW. And who knows, a few minutes down the line, we might just get it. But easily the worst show they have ever put on. Unforgivable by their standards. Unforgivable. Okay, gents, quick award here. Talker of the year. Three nominations. We've already talked about Vince McMahon. We've already talked about Austin. And Mick Foley came here in third place too, who I didn't vote for, which might surprise some long-time listeners. Let's go around the horn very quickly on these three. Eric, you first. Okay, I voted for Foley. He's the only one of the three nominees that I that I voted for. I just think if you look back and this, I mean, this could be the 1995 and onward award if we're going to give it to Foley, and I think we should. But I don't think there's any one person you can give a microphone to other than maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin. But even even Austin's promos are a little bit Ric Flair-ish in that you can probably fill in some of the key words and get a pop. But Mick Foley... You know, he balances these three characters and he cuts different promos for all of them. And now he's even kind of working in the Mick Foley character because he's not quite mankind anymore, but he's not dude love. And Cactus Jack has kind of been retired since the night after Royal Rumble or the night after WrestleMania. And so he has four characters that he's 
uh, uh, balanced all year long, and I think all of them have cut spectacular promos. I just want to say that Jim Ross should have been nominated in this award, and I'll uh, harken back to Dan Welling's rant uh, uh, back in the non-wrestler uh, category. But my my votes here would have been Foley and Jim Ross, although I fully understand the other nominees making it in. I thought JR would have made it ahead of Foley myself, but there you go. Dan, what have we got here? Yeah, I voted for Foley and Vince in this category because I do like promos that develop characters more than just general ability, something like The Rock or Austin. Uh, and Eric's obviously mentioned stuff about Foley, and I'm going to mention him later on as well, just how a man has been able to flesh out three or four characters and have them all be good talkers is, is incredible. But think of how, you know, uninteresting a talker Vince McMahon was in 1997 as a commentator and how he shifted to become the biggest bad guy in the industry today in the space of 12 months. And as you know, in the space of time, he's Mr. McMahon, but he's also gone from, you know, intellectual Vince who wants the best for the company, who is better than you and just is trying to talk in a very HR corporate way to then shifting to, the megalomaniac evil owner who is screaming at Austin that he doesn't have it anymore. It's mine. And being evil and screaming your fire at him and, and then basically becoming a manager for the rock and becoming the promoter that he is accustomed to being. He's basically done three different character shifts in, in one different year. And he is the reason why he is this feud with him and Austin is so bloody good because he's the guy that gets the heat. He's the guy that makes people want to root for Austin even more so than they did before. And he's the guy that just makes it all stick. And he believes he's right. You know, of course he doesn't want this, you know, swearing, beer drinking, redneck to be the WWF champion when you've got people like The Rock in his, in his roster. So, yeah, I just think that Vince this year has just been an absolutely incredible promo. Um, I just think he's absolutely fantastic. Chris White's WWF-centric list here. What do you think of this top three? I'm, I, I believe I voted for the top three exactly as is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you did. I, I mean, these are, for me, the, the top three talkers of the year. They're really hard to separate. I would like to focus, as, as people before me have, mainly on Mick Foley, Mankind, for this category, although he might not necessarily be my vote, but he deserves the recognition here because this is where he really shines. Um, The versatility of Mick Foley is almost unprecedented. And um, like, well, as Eric mentioned, like so many different characters, but so many different strings to each of those characters, like, um, from the segment you mentioned, Rory, with the um, Dr. Austin, uh, Foley in that segment when he comes in and he's trying to cheer Vince up, like he is just the comic, the comedic timing of Mick Foley is on another level to the other two men nominated for this category. And then you also go to the other end of the spectrum on uh, a show I'll talk about 
more later potentially with uh, Survivor Series uh, 98 uh, after the main event with the forming of the corporation and Foley confused questioning what's happened he's been screwed he doesn't know what's going on and he just he's he's confused and the way he delivers his small short lines to Vince he says like he doesn't know what's happened he doesn't understand what's going on I didn't submit and and then he just throws in dad, calling Vince McMahon dad. And the way he delivers that is it, like, I don't know if it was intended necessarily on the night, but it felt like a complete face turn. Like they just did the double turn. And the way it was executed, not only was because of the rock and Vince, but it comes down to Foley's delivery of a word. Like he has that, but he also has the the third element of like the dark disturbing mankind where he can get really deep and twisted and that's unique to him he delivers a promo in a very different way to someone who is a similar sort of dark character the undertaker when the undertaker cuts a promo it can be monotonous and droney but mankind is enthralling to listen to whether he's trying to be funny uh emotional or disturbing he's all three of those and he's always impactful uh chris lacy do you have a dog in the fight here um i don't because my boys didn't get in damn you why aren't the dudleys and gertner here but going on it you know really he is my original homeboy is foley you know he cut his teeth delivering amazing promos back in the land of extreme um and he just seems to be carrying on i didn't obviously vote for him i didn't think of it but it's when you've all of you have brought up different moments be it when he was being dude love earlier in the year when he was being cactus earlier in the year when he's been trying to you know be with vince and being daddy him in the hospital with the beginning of what should never have become a big thing but mr socko it's just he's been amazing and as always and he is if we were gonna do which we may do next year when we sort of look at say the, the decade he will be there or thereabouts as the talker of a decade and you wouldn't think that from him earlier or at the beginning of his career that the guy that was synonymous with throwing himself off stuff his best attribute is his talking um but i will say vince has been on fucking top form this year as well in uh, capital carnage being one of the, the most recent things i've watched that being him just just slagging off a country with ease and uh, tea time and he just has this way of riling up the crowd and being the perfect arsehole what a pile of pious crap he smashed the teacup as well he actually <laughs> smashed the teacup let's get some votes Dan uh, Vince Eric Foley. Chris White. I was undecided up until this very second, but I am going to go with Mick Foley. And Chris Lacey. I'm going Foley as my boys aren't there. 
Yep, no issue with Foley winning, despite me somehow omitting him completely from this. <laughs> I think Whitey, you got it right. <laughs> it's That's like the... me missing Austin stunning McMahon last year. From a it's category. before the Monopolies Commission come around knocking on my door. You know, I'm just trying to give myself give myself some breathing <laughs> space here. It's like Chris White so rightly said: versatility. I mean, one minute you can have Foley cutting a promo comparing his match with the Undertaker to the American Civil War, and the next he can tell. The New Age Outlaws, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck up a woodchuck could chuck wood? He can do anything. And I've just been told it's wood, not could. See, he's that's why Mick Foley is talker of the year, and I am not. Again, a deserving winner. I must say, very few surprises so far. So let's see what we get in this next award, minted by you, Mr. Lacey. You're gonna to need to introduce this. The Wahoo Award. Sorry, do that again. The Wahoo Award for Unbelievable Shitness. Now, explain the derivation behind this. So, there was a show that I used to do that some of you may have heard of, where in watching the 80s, I found my my kryptonite of the worst thing imaginable in wrestling, which was Wahoo McDaniel. And his just... A grade level of shit. So, as such, we christened an award for the worst thing. Just, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a whole idea. It's just the worst thing. And as such, we have the Wahoo Award. She sells, she sells on the seashore. <laughs> Red lorry, yellow lorry. Peter Piper picked a piece of pickled pepper. There, that's three out of four. There we go. Right. The Wahoo Award for Unbelievable Shitness. Okay, we have four nominations here. We have The Warrior, in general. <laughs> Not that I want to lead anybody. Dan, we have That Bold Bastard, in general. We have Mr. Tiger Ali Singh, in general. <laughs> and Chris White, your pick here. You mentioned it earlier, but kick us off with... The WWF tag division. Or lack of. I mean, there's a lack of in terms of something that's mildly entertaining or like even so bad it's funny. There's none of that to be had here. We have the outlaws, and I'm gonna separate them from this because I'm not talking about the tag titles. And for the majority of the year, apart from when we've had a couple of teams like uh Kane and Mankind and Austin and Taker, like thrown together top stars. Um, they've been the champions for the majority of this year. I'm specifically talking about the WWF tag division, the division made up by, and not limited to, but these are just some of the headline names that we've seen in pay-per-view matches for the WWF tag team titles this year. LOD 2000, the new Midnight Express, the DOA, the Headbangers, and the Oddities. That is a complete mess of unbelievable shit. That division <laughs> deserves to win the award for unbelievable shit. There's nothing good to be said about any of their te these teams that I just listed and their 1998. And between them, they've taken up so much of my time on Raw. They're on every Raw. They're on every pay-per-view. It's unbearable. Like, I, I know I'm not going to win this one, but I should. Like, the... the <laughs> They're always here. They're always there. They don't go away. I, I, you can't enjoy a Raw without DOA and the Oddities having like a garbage match that isn't even funny. Like it's it's truly appalling. Warrior, he's gone. Like he's gone now. All right. 
we're, we're through it hopefully for a while and we don't have to put up with it again i've still got a part with this <laughs> see this is why we have the wahoo board so we can cleanse oh that's Everybody it Everybody listening to this never let it be said that chris white is not satisfied in his current job role okay <laughs> <laughs> oh my god almighty uh lacy tiger ali Singh. oh fucking hell so the very few times that i do you know venture onto the fed I come across this shithead who <laughs> somehow manages to be given TV time doing a knockoff million dollar man gimmick, but he's foreign. Um, they, he does the whole fucking, oh, will you do this for X amount of dollars? He gets some fat chick to eat some sausages, some bird to get off with his oiky little mate and you think ah oh, it'd be fine if there was some sort of payoff if he could do anything and then you see him wrestle and he is a giant bowl of steaming shit the fact of you know he was given a quite a long match on the uk pay-per-view i had to pay my good hard money the american pay-per-views for wwf i'll let you all know they're in the states we get them for free because they part come part of our Sky Sports deal. But I had to put down, after doing my paper round, £15 of my own money, that's two weeks worth of paper round money, to watch that cunt in a match. <laughs> Fuck you, you absolute fucking cretin. Put it down to forethought, if you will, but I got my mum to buy Capital Carnage for me. Just on the off chance there would be a Tiger Ali Singh match, because that's what my, the UK only. My paid. parents went. Lo and behold, you have to pay for it. You can pay for it. You want it? Fucking asshole! <laughs> I tell you what, Dan. You know you've got to ratchet up your hatred of Hogan here to even stand the chance. But if right, anyone can, right. okay, right. Tiger Ali Singh, I will wholeheartedly admit, is the worst wrestler currently working in North America, pound for pound. However, he is lower mid-card at best. Is on his on our TV screens for what? Maybe one one segment every two weeks, which is non-consequential. You can zone out of it. That bald bass is on my TV every single fucking week, <laughs> talking for 20 minutes about how he's the greatest living wrestler of all fucking time. Yes, you maybe were in 1989 and 1990, but this is 1998, and we don't want to see you anymore, mate. You screwed up what was arguably the simplest story meant to be told in the Starcade 1997, and you've been living on borrowed time ever since. Not a single good match he, he's been involved with all year. NBA All-Star Tag Match, you couldn't be bothered to do anything for two hard workers like DDP and Karl Malone, and went alongside Dennis Rodman, an equally lazy dickhead of a man. He then sells for Jay Leonard because, you know, he's got to go in for his A-lister, you know, Hollywood star celebrity mate. Sells for him in an absolutely awful match at Road Wild. I've already talked about how absolutely atrocious that Warrior match is at Halloween Havoc just because he wanted to satisfy his ego and then, you know, get his win back. Oh, this this man, honestly, he is the re This is not true. Whenever he, we all talk about go away heat and they're like, oh, which do we want? Whenever he's on screen, I turn off. 
And that means that I miss out on some things quite important, like the NWO breakup and the Goldberg win. But the honest answer is, I don't want to see Hulk Hogan on my screen at all. And that's why whenever he comes on, I turn off the TV. Eric, are you hearing this? I mean, that man could be your president in 23 months' time. Hogan, that is, not Dan. But hey, who knows? <laughs> uh, he didn't make my list. Uh, but I tell you what, here I am just sitting here like an idiot thinking, what the hell, the WWF tag team? Oh, yeah, on my list, I voted for individually the Legion of Doom and the Oddities. So shout out Chris White uh, for summarizing my disdain uh, in a nice, neat little package. It, you know, in fairness to those guys, only one of them had somebody almost commit suicide this year. So that's something to go back and watch. Um, but you know who really did commit career suicide this year was the Warrior. And if you go back to August, uh, was it 17th? Is that the, yeah, August 17th, Nitro. The date, the date is burned in my brain. Yes, right. August the 17th. And that segment, um, 20 minutes. And I think the Warriors segments when he was on top and controlled and protected were maybe, you know, how long was that bodybuilding segment with Rick Rude? Five minutes, six minutes, something like that. The Rumble 89, yeah, about that, yeah. That's right. And that's probably his best segment, that and the Hulk Hogan uh, promo from WrestleMania 6. Those are probably the two best Warrior. And, and uh, again, you, all of that was undone by this guy's ability to be unbridled and unrestrained in WCW. I don't know if this award should go to the Warrior just because he was just kind of being himself. Maybe this award should go to, like, Eric Bischoff. And I don't know who's backstage at WCW Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor. Like, if we could just kind of package this award and give it to everybody who allowed that to happen, I think that's more accurate because we all know the Warrior sucks, but he sucked in controlled ways and made him kind of exciting at times. I think without that, you know, without all those caveats and stuff, I still think the clear winner here is the Warrior because all this other stuff is fun to talk about and Hogan is shit, but that Goldberg stuff was pretty fun for when it was happening. And I think the WF tag division, again, it's not something that like moves the needle. I don't think if the WF tag division was spectacular, it would necessarily make the WWF more popular. But the Warrior thing actively made WCW worse in a way that I don't think they recovered from by the end of the year. And so I have to go with Warrior here just because its ripple effects are still being felt, even if he's gone. I'm glad you mentioned that, Eric, because Warrior was my number one when I was putting my votes forward. But it was for everything that came with the Warrior package, including the fact that he was allowed to be on television and be the Warrior with everything that entails. I think I said this on some of the monthly shows as well. Nobody in 98, everybody knows that the Warrior is the ultimate liability. For some reason, Vince chose to overlook that two years ago, and he ended up very literally paying the price giving up time on Raw for the Warrior University vignettes, fuck knows what else, until he eventually just realized he couldn't take it anymore. And also, personally, I put the Warrior here as number one because of the editing job he made me do with that promo on <laughs> Black Monday, August the 17th, 1998. 27 minutes that entire segment was, and I had to listen to the whole thing four, count them listeners, four times from start to finish to try to find points to play it into the show for you. And that's not counting the fact I had to listen back to individual lines three or four times. No, 
malfeasance. Just, just listen. Just because you mentioned the word malfeasance in a promo doesn't make you intelligent. Mick Foley can make it work. Warrior cannot. So he was my number one pick for this. But hey, it's not about me. It is about you guys. Eric, where are we going? Warrior. Dan. Oaken. <laughs> As if I needed to ask. Chris White. I'm wrong, but I'm, but I'm angry. The WWF tag division. Lacey. Can, can we combine the two and just have Cunt Hogan and Cunt Warrior? Oh, look, <laughs> Maybe the feud should win. Maybe that whole debacle should win. You know what? I'm going to give it to the whole, you know what? The whole Warrior Hogan shebang from August to that evil, evil match, which has already won worst match of the year. It deserves an extra minus point for WCW <laughs> in the grand running, which I will talk about a bit later on. But I'm actually going to give WCW two minus points in this award. <laughs> and I can do it, everybody, because WCW is my field of expertise on this particular show. And Chris Lacey, this award is going to stay next year. You will be pleased to hear. Right, that Wonderful. is enough of the bad, everybody. Now, this is where the debate really kicks into life. Four more awards to go, and they are all the best of things. Right then, best show. Only three to choose from. Three very safe picks. But where are we going to go? What is going to win out of WrestleMania 14, Heat Wave, and Survivor Series 1998? Eric, take the floor on this one. Whew, three for three, baby. Let's see where we start here. I don't think WrestleMania 14 is the best show of the year, but I think it's the most important show of the year because of the, the end where you had Austin and Michaels and all that stuff, and it was great. But there were some real stinking turds on that show too, primarily the first, I don't know, hour. Uh, until Bob Bamber's favorite moment ever when Sable did the TKO. Uh, basically, start watching there through the end. Um, I think Survivor Series is going to get talked about enough, and so I'll just glow with Heat Wave because uh, you know, that was a show that you and me and Lacey did, Rory. And I think if you're going to have a show that's naturally hamstrung by not having any relevant belts on the line, then the, the one title match on the show was a tag title match where the ending was... You didn't know how it was going to end, but you knew the champs were going to retain because the two Japanese guys were in no way going to win those belts. When you hamstring yourself to a show, going into a show like that, and you pull off what Heat Wave was, Heat Wave, heat wave was easy for me to say, just an enjoyable watch for three hours. Shout out to ECW. They never do a great job of booking their pay-per-views, but when they pull it off in execution you get something like Heat Wave. When you don't, you get something like November to Remember. It's a fine line, but on Heat Wave, they were hitting on every cylinder. And I really think if you're not big up on ECW, if you haven't really been following along with Lacey, and I was fortunate enough to be on a lot of those shows this year, really check out Heat Wave. And if you enjoy that, check it out. Because I don't think ECW got enough love for what, how good Heat Wave, Heat Wave was because of it kind of petered out after that. But they really peaked there. Uh, but I don't, you know, Survivor Series, I think, is is a masterclass in booking a three-hour show. Chris White, talk to me about Survivor Series. For me, this was the best booked show of the year by some distance. I'll go further than that. One of the best booked shows I've ever seen. Um, the storytelling on this show was a 10 out of 10. I will admit early, early doors in my summary here. If you're looking for excellent wrestling, then this isn't necessarily the show for you. In ring, this wasn't the best show of the year, but the storytelling was so masterful that it is my pick. 
if you were to show this pay-per-view to a non-wrestling fan, you're not going to engross them because of the in-ring action being so wonderful and the work rate being so high. But what you could do is find a deep-rooted love in the drama behind professional wrestling. The narrative that was weaved throughout this show was flawless. From start to finish, there were so many aspects to this show. I could talk for a long time, and I did on the November show about Survivor Series. So you can go back and listen to it there. The twists, the drama, the storytelling, and the ending, the setup for the future, the birth of The Rock as this heel megastar top champion. Just everything was perfect. This was like... A re it was almost like a movie in how the narrative was weaved in and out throughout. You got little hints there, little hints, little hints here, and little hints there. But at the end, you were still surprised by the twist. For me, the show of the year. Dan, you loved the storytelling in this pay per view. You hated the in ring work, like most people. Do you think it deserves to be on this list? Yeah, it definitely deserves to be on the list because it is as people have said, one of the best booked shows of the decade. And every single wrestling show, pay-per-view-wise, can put on really good matches, but very, very few can do great booking consistently. And ultimately, when you're brilliant at one thing, you should be recognised for it. And, you know, in that review we did back in November, I was reviewing that from a, just someone who just watched it live and then, you know, reviewed it but you know going back and watching it on vhs or video or or you know pay-per-view replays you can skip the stuff then you can skip the matches and just kind of take in the booking masterclass of what's going on and stuff like that and it really makes sense then from a, a pay-per-view perspective and i will show some love for wrestlemania here because you know this is a show that's greater than some of its parts i mean there's nothing spectacular on it there's nothing on here that matches the matches on Heatwave. There's nothing on here that matches the booking of Survivor Series. But overall, it's just a, such a well-paced, well-booked, important show. You know, all the stuff from Sable being a star, Stone Cold be coronated as the number one face in the company, Undertaker Kane. You know, that whole those three golden months of build and just they just mesh so well. And all you know, there's so much fun. All the rest of the cards, you know. It's a really best, you know, really good show. One of the best WrestleManias ever. There's only, you know, and it's so important, as we've all discussed, you know, Austin being coordinated as the guy moving into this new era. And he's just got the ball and he's run with it so well. And any show with Mike Tyson in it is going to be important. And it delivered, in my opinion. Yeah, I should say I also voted for all three of these. WrestleMania doesn't have to be the best show of the year. doesn't have to be. But I think from a WWF standpoint, it needs to be the most important. And this year, I think it definitely was for the first time since WrestleMania 10. I don't think you have a show like Survivor Series this year if you don't have a show like WrestleMania. You don't have The Rock mincing himself in the IC title. You don't have Austin being Austin. And you don't have people missing out on Triple H not being in the match. It's just all these sort of things, it all built at WrestleMania. People talk about Mania being the start of this new attitude era that we're now supposedly living through. And I think it was. But Chris, you lambasted November to remember, you know. But 
this company is your beloved, so now you've got a chance to speak up for Heatwave. So this is a perfect six match card. Before I go into how great it is, I will give the Fed their dues. Mania, as as is an important show, it it was a good show. It wasn't great. It was good. It got a lot of the most important things that needed to be done. It got done, and half the show you can forget about. But you know that's that's the drinking section. And Survivor Series, as as a story, as a TV show, as a film, has the perfect story from beginning to end. But we're here to talk about wrestling. The best wrestling show of the year. Not the best TV show, not the best film, not the best story of the year. The best wrestling show of the year. And with six amazing matches, it has to be Heatwave. You start with Just Incredible and Jerry Lynn, who put on a fucking clinic. These two work their fucking asses off, and they just only get better. Then, Candido versus Storm. Fucking Wrestling 101. If you want to see two guys fuck your cruiserweights in WCW, these two, this is real fucking wrestling. Tanaka and Awesome. Lads are beating the shit out of each other. To the point where one of them gets powerbombed out of the ring, into a table, and slides under the guardrail. And a Japanese lad that will quite happily eat open-end chair shots like they're crisps. You then have <laughs> a fucking amazing tag match. RVD and Sabu, Hayabusa and Tenziki. 20 minutes of your life that you will never regret watching that match. Then... Falls count anywhere, Taz and Bam Bam. Have a fucking barn burner. It is everything a match between these two should be, is and is fucking great. And you get your big spot with them going through the ramp. Then we finish the mat the night with the perfect ECW match. A street fight with Tommy Dreamer, Spike, and the Sandman going against all three of the Dudleys. It's a brawl, it's violent, it's just wonderful. The Dudleys are on fucking fine form with their promos beforehand. And you also get New Jack come out, swinging fucking all sorts of random shit. It is everything that's amazing about ECW in two and a half hours. And it is the show of the year. I want to just cancel the voting now for eating chair shots like crisps. I mean, there's nowhere else to really go after that. <laughs> so you, you you have voted for Heatwave. Where are we going, Chris White? For me, I'm still sticking with Survivor Series. Um, we talk about WrestleMania being important. and I, I think the importance of Survivor Series has yet to be realised. And, and we could see into 99, the birth of The Rock into what he is now as we head into 99 will always hark back to Survivor Series in a way that the birth of everything good about 98 came from Mania. So it has the importance as well. Where are we going, Dan? As good as Survivor Series is on rewatch as a movie, as Chris Lacey said, best wrestling show. And for someone who loves their work rate, it's Heatwave. Oh, I don't like where this one's going. Eric, you're not going to save me here, are you? I really want to vote for Heatwave. But I can't. It's the Survivor Series. Oh, I was really hoping you would vote for Heatwave. Oh, <laughs> okay, right. So here we go. 
So we have got what is without a doubt the best wrestling pay-per-view of the year, far and away. We have easily, infinitely far and away, the best storytelling pay-per-view of the year. That's a storytelling company against who are really, of the three we talk about, our work rate company. Oh my God, where to go here? Well, I was on the ECW show and I gave Heatwave eight and a half. If I'd been on the Survivor Series show and I'd been watching it live along with you guys, and I had been watching the first 90 minutes, 105 minutes, and I didn't know at the time that the story was unfolding before me, I would almost struggle to give it to anything other than the heat wave at this particular point. But as Eric knows, he is aware when a butt is coming when I'm about to talk. So Survivor Series 98 is the best show of this year. Yes. It absolutely has to be. As great as Heatwave was, and it was, I still think it was just missing some... a title match. Yeah, a, a really big title match. I think it would have been. An but at this show. point, we didn't have Shane. We couldn't have a title match. Shane was broken. Have you finished? <laughs> he was on commentary. <laughs> he was on commentary, and he was a revelation on commentary. He was magnificent. He, he, he actually made Joey Styles work for his living. I mean, I could hear Douglas on commentary every single month now. He, he, you know, he alone almost pushes one even closer than you might think. But the way that Survivor Series unfolded, it got to a stage where 90 minutes in, I was thinking, yes, all these matches suck, but that doesn't concern me one bit. Now, what's all this with The Rock now? No. Why are they making it so easy for Foley? How are they going to get Austin out of here? And again, Chris, you're spot on. I still don't think the story is completed yet. We're getting a rock Foley feud at this point. Where is that going to turn as we go into 99? It's We could still be talking about Survivor Series in a year's time, and I mean it in the best possible way. So for everything that I enjoy about pro wrestling, aside from the work rate, I think it has to be Survivor Series 98. But for me, Heatwave is as close as a number two as you can possibly, possibly get. Right then, time for some more Bones of Contention. Match of the Year. Again, a very easy three, none of which come from any of our shows of the year. They are, and this time I have got it in chronological order, Dude Love versus Steve Austin from Over the Edge 98. Mankind versus Undertaker from King of the Ring, the Hell in a Cell match. And The Rock versus Triple H for the IC title. Ladder match, SummerSlam. This one is going to get even uglier. Chris Lacey, start us off. So, I didn't vote Austin and Dude Love. Um, it didn't. It it was one of those matches. When I was looking back at all the matches of the year, it it didn't ring any bells. I did go back and watch it today, and it's a decent match. Um, it's got a nice little story to it, and you know it's fun. But it it's not anything more than where Austin was doing for most of the year. Now the other two are much much higher in my in my standings. So you've got. The best ladder match since Razor and Diesel at SummerSlam or WrestleMania 10. This, to me, is the moment that Rock became more than just an IC champ. This was the point where the fans turned 
he became the star. Trips, unfortunately, that injury that he got coming out of this match is what killed his momentum because he could have also been riding that crest of the wave that he should have been. This this was a match that made two people. And when you're looking at matches of the year and turning points and big moments, this is it. But that's all overshadowed by a man literally surviving what should kill him. How the fuck Mick Foley gets up after being lobbed off a 20-foot cage through a table onto a concrete floor. Yes, that table really doesn't take that much of that fucking fall out. There's, there's monitors on that table. There's, there's shit there. That is not a nice fall. He then gets back up, climbs up the cage again, to then be chokeslammed through it with his head hitting a chair on the way down. He then gets up again and takes a fucking backdrop onto Thumbtacks. And all the way through it, he just keeps going. And it may not be the best technical match. It may not be the best, you know, in-ring action but it's a match that you will never forget. And as such, that is why it's match of the year. I've got to give it to you, Lacey. That was an excellent recovery from a decent match with a nice little story to it. I'll tell you what, you're pushing my loyalties very far, my son. <laughs> no, ex excellent description. I completely agree with what you said about those final two matches. Eric, we had some fun on the August 98 WWF show about the ladder match. There were lots of butts from there in me, but some uh, you called it at the time the best match of the year, and I don't think you're going to be changing your mind anytime soon. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Uh, no, I'm going to come back to because I'm not changing my mind. But I just want to... <laughs> okay. I just want to... You want to... Why don't you? No, go ahead. I just, want, I just want to point something out here. If we give the match of the year to The Undertaker and Mankind, it will be the second year in a row we've given the match of the year to The Undertaker for doing fuck all next to nothing in a match with the best worker in North America. <laughs> well, you know what I think about that from last year, but uh, carry on. So last year, Undertaker and Shawn beat Austin and Brett from WrestleMania because Shawn Michaels pulled a five-star match out of The Undertaker's ass, and Kane was there, and that was cool. <laughs> and this year we're going to overlook the best match of the year okay pivot rock and triple h had no right being in a ladder match they're not high flyers they're both kind of middle of the road in between the ropes workers triple h is incredibly pained by numbers between bells and the rock is still pretty green if you ask me and those guys managed to integrate not only a year-long feud between DX and the nation with logical and well-thought-through outside interference between China and Mark Henry, which we broke down in probably agonizing detail, and I apologize to the listener for that, uh, on the August 98 WWF volume. Everything about that match, other than the occasional slow climb, and I'll give it to you, 
Rory there. Um, everything about that match, except for the occasional slow climb, was so well thought out and so well booked. Everything about the Undertaker-Mankind match that we remember wasn't supposed to happen or wasn't supposed to happen as it was played out. We shouldn't reward somebody for nearly killing themselves in a match of the year. Now, that could have won segment of the year. That could have won spectacle of the year. We gave Foley an award for being generally awesome. But that wasn't a match. Nothing about that came off as it was supposed to. It was memorable, but it wasn't wrestling. Rock and Triple H were two guys putting their heads together, thinking, how can we have a great semi-main event and come out of it with everybody involved elevated and seeming like a bigger star? I just think you can't overlook the fact that The Undertaker and Mankind, and really Mankind only, found back their way into a memorable spectacle. The Rock and Triple H sat down and had a match that came off perfectly as they planned it, or at least perfectly as a wrestling match. Let's not overlook that when we think about who really had the match of the year. Are you listening, everybody? <laughs> I sure was. Chris White, can you say something nice about the Over the Edge 98 main event for me, please? <laughs> I can. Um, in any other year, um, that would be my match of the year. It's my second choice for this award, but it was an excellent main event to an average show. But the, the match itself typified everything that has been great in the WWF this year. It had the sort of storytelling narrative and the involvement and interference continuously from Vince, Patterson and Briscoe. And initially, I think Patterson announced it's going to be no DQ, then they're brawling outside and now it's a false count anywhere. And you get them like little quirky moments that like that Vince and his stooges are working against Austin and they have a wild Austin main event brawl and it's great. But Rory, that's where my praise for that match ends. Because there is only one winner of this category for me. And that is The Undertaker versus Mankind at King of the Ring. And Rory, I anticipated running into some trouble for this category and trying to get this this match over the line as my match of the year. So I went back to my review of the match and listened to the show again when we reviewed this match. Rory, you yourself, if you remember correctly, were, were on the show with me. <laughs> You did, in fact, question. taking your job as a lawyer here. I've, I've looked over the transcripts of <laughs> fucking all gimmick things. infringement, motherfucker. <laughs> Rory, he's got spies. The boy's got spies. If you remember correctly, that you did, in fact, say that this match, The Undertaker versus Mankind, could be the best match, not spectacle, but match that you have ever seen. It's a that, fair cop, Gov. That is a direct quote from you. It was the most spectacular and gruesome of wrestling all in a nutshell, and I would argue that whether it was intent intentional or not, that doesn't change the package that we, the viewer, were presented by the company on that night. We got what we got, whether it was the plan or not, and what we got was the match of the damn year. I'll tell you what, I'm going to sleep with one eye open from now. <laughs> <laughs> He's on to us. He's on to us. What have we got, Dan? What I, you know, button down the hatches in the house. <laughs> well, I'll be too late. <laughs> well, let's be honest. I don't think a mankind's going to win this award, but it wouldn't be 
remiss of me to to wax virtues about Austin versus Dude Love um, because no matter what you've got in Hell in a Cell, it's it is just down to those two bumps and a little bit of the thumbtacks at the end. That's three gigantic spots, but spots nonetheless. Austin Dude Love is everything that has made the WWF the number one promotion in the year this year. Entertaining, wild, Austin versus McMahon at the center of it, and Mick Foley killing himself. There are about four bare back bumps onto bare concrete that he does in that match, and they're all horrendous. Austin is pure fire as this rolling underdog babyface. You've got Vince McMahon being not straight up cheating, but doing his damnedest to actually, you know, screw Austin out the title fairly before he doesn't count the headshot chair. Patterson and Briscoe being hilarious throughout the entire match. This is a reminder that this is a false guy anyway match. It's, it's brilliant. And then you've got just one of the best booked finishes of a main event I've ever seen with Vince going, by my hand only will this match finish. And then him being unconscious, counting the three by Austin's hand. It's genius. It's much fun. And the Unsaker Mankind is by spectacle and by infamy going to live long in the memory. But as something that I enjoyed from bell to bell and didn't have any concerns about the well-being of one of the participants in this match, Austin Dude Love for me is match of the year. Thank you, Dan. You can stay. (laughs) (laughs) Your vote, please, Eric. SummerSlam ladder match. Of course. <laughs> you had us going for a minute there. Hercule Poirot, uh, Chris White, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one match that wrestling fans will be talking about in 20 years. The Undertaker versus Matt Khan. So, it's up to Chris Lacey to pick the winner. Do you know what? Because you're right. It is only three spots compared to actually a a full match. I'm going to win the ladder match. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> see what you did there. Okay, so the ladder match between The Rock and Triple H is our match of the year. Yeah, but it didn't have Pat Patterson saying that the Briscoe Body Shop could be found in Nort Hubert, did it? <laughs> Oh, well. No, that ladder match was great. Listen, I didn't vote for it, but it was tremendous. Easily the top 10 matches of the year, in my opinion. A real star-making performance by both men. But Worker of the Year. What was your vote? My, I, 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 well, it doesn't really matter because I only vote when it counts. The ladder match, one, two, one, one. No casting vote here. I would have given it to the Over the Edge 98, but unlike oh. certain other people in the past, I play it fair in this game. I'm I am but a I am but a humble spear carrier here, Mr. Landstrom. But I was really hoping somebody would have voted for it, so I could have pushed it over the line. But no, democracy. I'm not, I'm not going through that one again. <laughs> <laughs> just just remember who voted for it, Roy, when the time comes. I say, pap film. Pay discussions are coming. <laughs> You'll also get an extra, you know, executive toy on your desk, maybe one of those pin art things. Anyway, two to go. Worker of the year. 
And after a WWF sweep, not a single World Wrestling Federation wrestler makes it into the top four for Worker of the Year. Perhaps no surprise, but this is what we've got. Again, in no particular order, we've got Lance Storm. We've got Juventud Guerra. We've got Rob Van Dam. Gee, I wonder who voted for him. And we have got, <laughs> as is always the case here, Chris Benoit. Chris Lacey, where to start here? RVD is the greatest wrestler in America right now. Case closed. But I do not need to say any more than that. Yes, he is do. the worker of the year. He is the fucking greatest wrestler in this country right now. And everything he does is amazing. Oh, he, he, I thought I could always hear your heart flutter then, Lacey. And all he does all of this whilst looking like he's, you know, been smoking big old joints. He's amazing. Yeah, just look, don't yeah. take him. Just don't take him to the Fed or WCW and ruin him. Yeah, looking like <laughs> Dan, come in on this list, please, before you know, this starts getting X-rated. <laughs> okay, so yes, I did vote for Rob Van Dam, and he the two the two things I look for with work of the year are body of work and outstanding matches, and he does have both of them in in space with you know matches with Too Cold. Uh, the tag match at Heat Wave, um, Jerry Lynn. These are all outstanding matches. And as I've blessed up there, he's got the body of work to back it up. And more than any worker in North America, he makes people go, wow. And I do think that counts because you do need to have an X factor with when you're relying on your work rate to get yourself over. And Rob Van Dam right now is that guy in North America, at least with Rey Mysterio being cropped. The other two, I voted for Hoovy. Um, it wouldn't be a work of the year discussion without at least one WCW Cruiserweight, and he's probably been the WCW Cruiserweight MVP of 1998, with Dean, Eddie, Ray, all kind of having mediocre years for various reasons. Hoovy has been the glue guy, you know, and that's kind of, he's kind of come out of nowhere, really, because the, the thing I remembered most about him before 1998 was him falling on his ass at Fall Brawl and tripping over the ring steps. But this year, he has been involved with excellent matches with Jericho, with Kidman, as I've already mentioned, with Ray, with all the usual suspects like Psychosis and the Parker and all these guys. He's just been the most consistent worker on Nitro, which is the work rate show in terms of TV week to week. And that must count for something. And the other guy on this list for me is Benoit because he is the best technical wrestler in the world, not North America, the world. And finally, he can he got a chance to cut loose this year. Instead of working with fucking Kevin Sullivan for a year, he finally got a chance to wrestle. You know, people can go in the ring, and he's pulled up blinders with DDP, um, Raven, Booker T, so many Finlay, all these great technical wrestlers and if you put Benoit in there with any sort of guy like who can at least go in the ring he's gonna get a good to great match out of him and those six months he had as part of the United States TV title division were just gold and it finally saw what he can do after being stuck in feuds with Kevin Sullivan and having to carry Steve Monger McMichael to decent matches and tag teams I see Whenever Benoit gets a chance to wrestle, he's fantastic, and he has been this year. Yep, see, Benoit was my number one when I was casting the original votes here. It must be said he almost got it by default. I mean, he's been out for a fair few months. He's not actually 
back to anywhere near his best, in my opinion. But when he's in the ring, it is effortless. And whenever he's in contention to win Worker of the Year, for me, he is the first name on the sheet. And it's just you know everybody playing for second place. And my second place was Hoovy, who's been an absolute revelation, as I've said, month after month this year, turning out astounding performances on TV and on pay-per-view. When you know, eyes are really on him, when you've got the real... You know, Hardcore fans with their eyes on you. He brings it even there. On all of this again, as I've said so often, after losing his mask. Uh, Chris White said, no WWF names on this list. So to just brief, there's a slight aside. That's no real surprise, though, is it? No. Um, I would say there was one WWF person I would have given a shout-out to, but, like, they're not the worker of the year, but I would have given an honourable mention to Mick Foley again. And yeah. it's the same reason yes. you, you praise his promos, because it's the versatility and the consistency. But the consistency has so many strands to it. We've got two of our top three matches of the year, the Over the Edge Brawl, and we waxed lyrical about that. And obviously we have the Hell in the Cell match, which we already know my thoughts on that match. Mankind is pivotal in both of those you also have matches like Mankind versus Ken Shamrock at Judgment Day, I believe it was. Um, not a great match, but the early going, so intriguing. The way sort of he goes on the ground with Shamrock and you have this bit of back and forth. Mick Foley deserves an honourable mention for me. Going back to the award and the shortlist we actually have in front of us, for me, having not watched as much WCW or ECW, um, as, as well, definitely compared to WWF, but also compared to all of you, my opinion may be worth less here. Ultimately, it's going to come down to personal preference. And for me, the wrestler I enjoy their work the most that's on this list is Chris Benoit. The effortlessness that, as you said, Rory, the effortless, oh God, his, uh, he makes it look easy, is what I'm <laughs> trying to say. And on top of that, he makes it look easy, but the intensity is unmatched. So for me, I will be going with Chris Benoit for this one. Eric, sum up this list. Just to get him in the mix here, um, Lance Storm. I voted for him too. Moves more effortlessly. So moves moves without the least amount of visible effort. Of anybody on this list in the ring, I think on one show I compared him to a gazelle, and that's really true. He's been marred in questionable booking, and he's been kind of wrapped up with Chris Candido and Tammy Lynn and the triple threat and all that nonsense. So he hasn't really had on pay per view a chance to uh, prove his exploits to the extent as a as other guys on this list. But if you watch the odd hardcore TV here and there, or if you just watch him when he's going, um, Lance Storm should not be underrated as a as a between-the-ropes worker. Um, and then I'll just say, go back and listen to any ECW show that I've been on this year for my opinion of RVD. Yeah, I'm very glad you nominated Storm in this category. He is ECW's real bona fide work rate guy, in my opinion. They've got a, they've got a couple just behind him, Jerry Lynn and some other bloke, uh, Chris Lacey. But um, I think Storm is the flag bearer for that now, and they really do need one. 
And they haven't got the true caliber of worker they had at their disposal three years ago. So someone like Storm is so important. And as long as, to go back to what I said earlier, they don't have him selling stunners from Tammy every single month, he could be their guy in the ring over the next 12 months, and I hope he will be. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this one's going. So Chris White, to confirm you're voting for Benoit, yep? Yep. Chris Lacey, where are we going? RVD. Of course. Eric. RVD. Dan. Benoit. Oh, why would you do this to me? Uh, Benoit or RVD? Well, it's got to be I, the whole fucking show. I, <laughs> nice try. Um, I didn't vote for RVD at all. I did vote for Chris Benoit. Again, it almost seems like he's getting it because he has to, because he is Chris Benoit. But Chris Benoit is Chris Benoit. He always will be Chris Benoit. He gets onto this list. He wins it. I really should have given him the award in 96. I think Eddie rightly beat him in 97 for Sonic. Benoit is our worker of the year, and this is somebody who was barely active for six months of it. If he can actually go on a tear for 12 months, as you say, without having to work against people like fucking Kevin Sullivan, yes, 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 and carrying Van Hammer or Chris Lacey to watchable matches, then who knows? Maybe Chris Benoit will be RVD again next year. So we have, we have one, everybody, we have one more award to go. Two, actually, but I'll get there in a second. And this is our MVP, our overall star of the year, really. And I've changed things up a bit for this final one. Everybody who got a vote is eligible, mainly because that gives us a chance to talk about somebody who inexplicably we've barely discussed yet. These six names who got a vote, again, no real order. Chris Jericho, Steve Austin, The Rock, Mick Foley, Rob Van Dam. <laughs> and some fellow by the name of Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg, that name rings a bell, doesn't it? Who wants to talk about him if they can dredge up five or six seconds about him? I just think in any other year, he's the clear MVP. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, he's not the MVP this year. Who else put Goldberg on their list? That was me. Go ahead, Dan. He def he is annoying for Goldberg because he kind of defies all of these categories that we've been talking about. I mean, he doesn't talk, he doesn't involved in long matches, he's not really involved in segments either. So it's hard to discuss him in a break by breakdown category. But like intensity, charisma, must watch. He is all of those things and more. I mean, he's just such a presence on screen in a way that no one else can match, not even Austin can match the sheer presence that Goldberg brings to a table. And it's no surprise that, you know, he can pack out 40,000 fans into his home stadium and they're all chanting his name. The, the money entrance that he does whenever he comes out to the ring with the big gold belt is phenomenal. And the fact that he is in short matches all the time just kind of makes you it makes it so easy to watch him because you know that what you're going to get, it's incredibly entertaining and you don't get bored of it. It's stunning how you don't get bored of it. If they could only, if WCW only booked his title reign better, then he really could be in the discussion for this award. But unfortunately, he's only had one real marquee title defense since he won the belt of Hogan against DDP. Mm -hmm. 
if he could, if he, you know, it's, it's, it's ironically he won the belt on Nitro, and all of his majority of his big matches this year since he won the belt have been on Nitro against, you know, Sting, the Giant, a couple of times. You know, these are these are the matches that should have been on pay per view, and they weren't, unfortunately. But listen, he was almost the reason why WCW overtook WWF in the summer, and given how hot the WWF's top star was, shows you just how brilliant and how much of a presence and how much of a drawing power Goldberg had. Interesting use of the past tense there, Dan. I was about to use the same. Had. I'll talk about this at length on the WCW show this month. This is the acid test for Goldberg now. He has lost the match. Now we will see what he really is made of. What he has had is almost indefinable. He can't talk. He can't work. He can't sell. He can't really do promotional stuff. Now, he's a failed football player, really. But he has that entrance. He has that spear. He has, jack he has that jackhammer. He has those 40,000 fans going crazy for him every week. He has that easy victory. And he had that world title there's a second story there they can tell and I am not going to rule out that Bill Goldberg is not going to be in contention for MVP again this time next year if they realise that his defeat as bad as it was and as much I wouldn't have done it could be a blessing in disguise he deserves being given a second wind Chris Lacey what do you think of the way this um these awards have fallen. Only six names. I included everybody who got a vote, and we've only got six names here. Anybody here who you thought might have also snuck in? Um, to be fair, I think it's been pretty consistent on who was going to be there at the top end. Um, you've got Austin, who has been the biggest star of this year. You know, he has been in the biggest feud of this year. You know, the most memorable segments. WWF has been the biggest company this year and it is revolved around him. You've got Rock who has had, as we've, you know, already seen, the, the biggest breakout year, gone from being a guy in the IC division all the way to being the world champ. Goldberg, it sucks for him that WCW has been below par this year that Everything that he has done doesn't really matter because no one's caring about WCW. You've got, obviously, RVD, who is the shining light of ECW. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to wax on more, but we all know where I am with him. And, obviously, Foley has had an amazing year as well. Um the one that surprised me a bit is Jericho, but then not watching massive amounts of WCW. I'm, I'm clearly missing a trick with him. Um, obviously, I know him from when he was in WC uh, when he was in ECW, and I know he's a good worker and has a lot of upside. But I don't watch enough WCW to really sort of have have a full opinion on him being the guy of the year. For me, it is a toss-up. It is a freeway toss-up between 
the biggest rising star, the biggest feud, and my own personal love in. And it, it's a head over heart moment of, of do I go with what has clearly been the biggest guy of the year or do I go with my favourite guy of the year? I will leave you to think about it, but I'll bring in Chris White. Chris, what do you think of the six names on here? Again, I can't really think of anybody else other than maybe Vince who deserves being on here. Do you? I was uh, going to say exactly that. I, there's no one I would add to this list um, with the exception if he's eligible, because we've we've spoken of him as sort of the uh, best uh, non-wrestler, but Vince McMahon would be a huge MVP because he, he, he is the perfect foil for Austin. And Austin, who, spoiler alert here, it will come as no surprise, is my vote for MVP. He, he wouldn't be as effective without Vince McMahon being as effective as he is in his role. They're, they're a yin, yin and yang, and they go together. They have perfect chemistry. Um, the storytelling you get out of this, like Austin against his boss and Vince, this like conniving heel authority figure, is just perfect. Um, so Vince does deserve a little credit for that because I think every success that Austin's had this year, you also got to give credit. It's not just the man Stone Cold Steve Austin himself, but Vince McMahon's there behind it making it more effective and having that perfect character for Austin to bounce off but as I say for me there's there's only one candidate really um and it it has to be this year has to be so-called Steve Austin it it was his year it was his year from winning the rumble to everything that happened in 98 in the WWF that was good he was at the heart of it and even Survivor Series, like that, we had two months without a champion, and like the way he was screwed out of it and kept out of it by Vin, like he he's not involved in the main event, but the the reason it's so impactful is because of how much you adore Austin. Like it, none of it works without Austin, but again, none of it would work without Vince, but. This this is Austin's this is Austin's year. One for Austin. Okay, Lacey, you've had long enough. Austin. Dan Welling. Austin. Eric Landstrom. Austin. Yeah, Austin wins. So there we are. MVP of the year. Like I always say, like I, oh, I know, I'm sure people listen to the end for this one as well. But like I always say, the MVP of the year, take out all of their contributions and see what you're left with. Exactly. As great as Vince, as gr- I'm not even genuinely great as Vince has been this year, could he do this with anybody else? Would it work? I don't think it would. Plus, about the Austin style is now what people want to see in the ring in 98. They made him the champion when everybody wanted him to be the champion in 98. Yes, I think he should have held it longer, but... So, we're going to go two ways in three months' time. He's either going to face Vince at WrestleMania, or he's going to face whoever is the WWF champion, probably The Rock at WrestleMania. Whoever he beats there, it's going to be yet another... (laughs) 
another feather in his cap as if he needs any other. So for the second year in a row, and fully, fully deservedly, our MVP of the year, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I am delighted to say that. And just before we wrap up, if you've been listening for a while, you will know that we did have a promotion of the year award. But I have let the people speak. I've said that far too often today. And based on the votes for best and worst, we could give you the official awards for promotion of the year. <laughs> yes, you know where this one's going. In third place with a whopping minus three points. <laughs> it's World Championship Wrestling. And they got rest, uh, MVP as well. What Worker of the Year. Yeah. Worker of the Year, and they're still down on minus three. And yes, I'm still going to be our WCW correspondent next year. Why do I do it to myself? Well, Chris Lacey, you'll be pleased to hear that ECW broke even on zero points. Uh, should have had more. They should have had more. November to remember brought them down. But WWF, far and away our promotion of the year, and I don't think there's any argument by any metric. Seven points here. This has been their year. Can we all agree on that one, gents? Yes. Yeah. They were almost there in 97 I, when we were actually just awarding promotion of the year. I just gave WCW the edge, but it was way for way for thin. But WWF here have been miles ahead. They've seen the problems, they've fixed them, and their product is so compelling. Even if you omit the fact that the second word in their name does actually stand for wrestling, it almost doesn't matter. Company of the Year, World Wrestling Federation. And that is it for 1998. Chris Lacey, we got there. We have done it. We have, we have rudded this ship. Um, after obviously we have to mention him, you know, it is thanks to to Bob that we are even here and doing this. Um, so yeah, yeah, well, I know we mentioned him quite a bit on the fifth anniversary shows, but yeah, it's it's one of those of we've decided that we were going to carry on, me, you, Chris, and everyone that joins us in the shows. You know, we can't do it without the con contributions of others as well. So, you know, I would like to take the time to thank everyone that ever has been on the show. Anyone that listens to it and sort of makes it worth us actually even bothering to watch some of the dross that we have to. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for you lot, there'd be no point. And I am going to be carrying on with ECW for another year. And I might even uh, have some guest spots on some other shows next year too. Chris White, we're there, son. We're there. Yep, a good year in the books for the uh, for the Fed, um, as reflected in the awards. Um, I'd just like to take the time, obviously, thanks to Bob for starting the whole thing, but a big thanks to you as well, Rory, for being our fearless leader ever since Bob decided to take some time away from the project, maybe indefinitely, and uh, he stepped up to the plate running the show, and it's been a seamless as transition as could be hoped and i think that's you deserve a lot of credit for that so it's been a good year thanks for steadying the ship thank you sir and it's been a pleasure to do so well most of the time anyway <laughs> and two of our esteemed contributors are still very much here dan welling you are one of them yeah cheers for carrying me on uh especially after bamba left um i know i'll be on wwf quite a lot this year but yeah, you astutely agree that I should be watching 
the cruiserweight kings of WCW and the hardcore legends of ECW, then by all means, ask me on. It's been a blast going through 1998 with you guys. Uh, and thanks so much for having me on again. It's been a wild ride, Eric, but on we go. Predicting a WCW turnaround in 99. Calling my shot. It'll be <laughs> quite a swing. It's going to be on my watch if it happens, I hasten to add. So uh, I'm already ready to claim the credit in 12 months' time. But uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody needs to hold the phone on that one. Eric, just I want to say personal thank you to your contributions throughout the year and sticking with us. It's been it's always a pleasure to have you on, sir. I'm here for the ride, man. Call me when you need me. I'll be doing that sooner than you might think. And Dan, that applies to you as well. <laughs> What show do I have you lined up for next month? I'll tell you off air. <laughs> I'll leave that one hanging in the air. But yeah, everybody listening, I want to say a massive thank you for sticking with us. Yes, there was some upheaval in March and April when Bob decided to stand down. As I said on the WCW show, Volume 1, it didn't take me more than a couple of milliseconds to decide to carry on. But there was a lot of changes that needed to be made. We needed to designate shows for people. I mean, I had never edited a podcast before. It wasn't something I'd even considered doing, and I was thrown into the deep end for April 98 WCW. It was just me, a two-hour, 40-minute sound file, and audacity. Yeah, good luck. But some, uh, I've grown as a person through this, you know. So, <laughs> he said uh, with his head growing along with it. Yep. <laughs> We're going to keep this going for as long as we possibly can. We've had people asking, are you going to keep this going through 99? Yes. Are you going to keep it going to 2000, where things start to get really good? Yes, we are. Presuming 99 doesn't, <laughs> doesn't end things completely because I know some of the horrors that lie ahead for us. I'd like to say a special thank you for everybody who has decided to come on board and join us as a contributor throughout 1998-2018. We are always looking for new people. Like, just hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook. We're very easy to find and we will accommodate you. All things going well. Our first ECW show of the year will have a brand new name to add to our roster and please you are more than welcome to join them find us we will get you on a show as soon as we possibly can i promise everybody is this to everybody is considered everybody will be on we do have a patreon we do have a lot of specials in the pipeline for you as we head into 99 or 2019 it will be because they're out of timeline and beyond if you want to drop us one dollar for early access five dollars for the special shows no, trust me we do not do this show for the money we do this show for your enjoyment. But if you want to give back and say thank you, we are all in your debt. It is for you we do this show each and every month through the good and the bad. It's a lot of work. We have to give up a lot of time to do it. But really, it's a true labor of love. None of us would be carrying on doing this show if we did not want to. And again, whether this is the very first show you've listened to or the 188th, I think I've got the numbers right. And thank you so much. It's indebted beyond words. And there's nothing left to be said, gents, but we're going to be move on to 1999. I wonder what we will have in store there. Well, we hope, dear listener, you join us for the journey. So from Chris Lacey, from Chris White, from Dan Welling, from Eric Lanstrom, we will see you in 1999, whether it's great or whether it's terrible. It really doesn't matter because life is just a party and parties weren't meant to last. 